done. I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. They are, in a group they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. go that was uh i am <laughs> just woke up and uh struggling to get organized here but today we'll be speaking with dr joseph lee of uh longvirus.com uh fame uh if you're following him on twitter i think his twitter account is great uh as a how should we say a, a connoisseur of edgelordship posting on the internet um I have to say, I have to appreciate uh, Dr. Lee's style. Um, let's see this. Uh, just my Zoom is start. Start. Uh, uh, let's see what's going on here. Um, just hang on. Just just let me sort out my. Uh, Zoom and I've got to wait for participants and I'm hoping that should work and um, let's see did that did that uh, let me just do this uh, um, I don't see him just yet but uh, yeah what's been going on I had a day off yesterday the doc had uh, well had a day for himself to think about uh, all that's going on in the world and still we have no rumble chat working that is really really 
bugging me. Why? And you know what? <laughs> I've got two layers. It's bloody cold at the moment in uh, in Japan, but uh, the <laughs> I'm I'm wrapped up a little too tight. Uh, I see uh, Dr. Lee is about to join us. Wait just one second. I might before I start stripping down. Uh, boom. Do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Good morning. Good morning, uh, Doctor Lee. Do you mind if I call you Joseph? No, yeah. oh, that's fine. Uh, how are you, sir? Very good. Uh, your camera is not working, unless you want to just remain oh, off, me... uh, off screen. No, 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 I'll turn on, I'll turn on, I didn't realize that. And I, I have to uh, just um, beg your indulgence for a second. I've got a few too many layers on and uh, I've got to take sure. one off. I'm sweating bucket, just bear with me a second. I don't even know how this interview got set up, so... this off the screen okay i was uh as i was sort of introducing the stream i was just saying uh i follow your twitter and um i'm uh, i i enjoy someone who's uh not afraid to go out and call a spade a spade and um you a moron a moron uh, yeah the, uh whatever it takes <laughs> whatever it takes trouble, but... Yeah. And um the yeah, we live in a we live in a time of uh well, weak men and lick spittles as far as I'm concerned and um you know, the we we've got to start clearing house and if that if that requires some salty language then <laughs> I, I I'm I'm all for it. So uh yeah, where would you where would you like to begin? Uh, so a little bit what's what's your background in uh systems neuroscience um oh perfect perfect so, oh, so. <laughs> I, I i i'm not an immunologist though uh i've i've sort of looked through your documents and um like i say been following what you're doing well uh, if you were an immunologist you wouldn't be talking to me uh maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> i'm i'm just uh as as a scientist i'm how should we say, I'm in a state of despair at what I've seen science become over the last... Oh, my God, me too. Uh, it's, it's well, it's depressing. And to see, well, I you know, I was a believer in the, in the system. I was too, yeah, completely. In, in the system. And um, to, see, to see it sort of crumble... Uh, the way it did in the last uh, few years and very, very few people sort of stepping up to the plate and then, you know, those that did uh, were either late or I, I, in some instances, I tend to question their motives. Um, right. And and no one is paying me. I'm not getting paid by Big Pharma. Soros didn't pay me anything. No one's uh, paid me anything. <laughs> Same. Um, you know, I have to do this sort of, uh, streaming like I was I'm was medically retired from a head injury 
um, oh. and you know, I just, I was just prepared to sort of sail off into the sunset. And like I say, I was just uh, left dumbfounded at the at the the response to um, the pandemic. Um, you know, I sit very much in the lab origin um, camp. I was one of the first scientists. Uh, there was a few of us very early on who who came out and said, look, something doesn't sit right about this um and and then it's just sort of cascaded from there and just you know our worst (laughs) the worst nightmares have have sort of come true and it's all culminating in email releases and um uh, as to what fauci had done the the extent of defense intelligence community involvement in these programs etc and um i i don't know much about that i had no idea that they were very involved in it so oh god it's, <laughs> it's like where are you where are you located I, i'm in japan right now i, I just rolled out of bed um right. de- desperately trying to get this the stream together um sure. so yeah um i'm ready to go wherever you want to go and uh oh yeah yeah just jump in and ask questions whenever but um so um i think the best way to start is like if you were just a lay person and i was trying to discuss this with you i would start you know because i've been talking non-stop you know i'm a lasik surgeon and these are my reading glasses but i'm a lasik surgeon and i've been uh what since january of 2020 when it hit me that it, it couldn't be the antibody I mean, I, I fleshed out my theories, but by the time I called up my mentor, who's a director of Oplo at Hawkins, that was like May or June of, uh, of January of 2020. And I explained it to him and he, he quietly listened. And I had no idea what to expect. And 10, 15 minutes later, he, he says, you know, Joe, I think you're going to be going to Stockholm. And I didn't even really realize well, what he meant. <laughs> take that in two ways. What was it, Stockholm syndrome or uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> or uh, so, the Nobel Peace Prize? Is the I, I'm I'm presuming the Nobel. Yeah. Prize. So basically, we've had we've been in constant communication for the past two and a half years. Okay. And he's told me this over and over and over again, and um, he just. He just can't believe the state of science either. You know, this cancel culture, the censorship. Uh, a couple of times before when we were chatting, he goes, you know, they might even try to put you in prison. And I'd have to fly out from Baltimore and, and bail you out because your daughter needs a father. And we were half kidding. But, you know, after that, Gavin Newsom signed that Bill 2098 that makes it a... a a crime for a physician to discuss misinformation with their patients. Yeah. So, look, it it was very, very obvious to me uh, from very early on. Uh, the 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 censorship wasn't something that was sort of dialed up slowly. It was ready to go from day one, right? And well, you know, so the, the feeling was, you know. Everyone had this basic feeling about anti-vaxxers at the beginning, and I did too. Everyone just kind of felt like, well, why are they resisting so hard? 
And uh, there was a very negative connotation about anti-vaxxers from very long ago, right? So they just added to that. It was, oh, it's already assumed that they're anti-science, anti-scientific. So it's okay to stop that kind of misinformation. And so I didn't, I didn't feel like I was part of that. I, I didn't feel like I was going to be lumped into an anti-vaxxer group because I'm very scientific and I studied hard my whole life. You know, past college, medical school, residency, fellowship. I mean, how, how much more training can you get in science? So I didn't even assume that they would ever con consider that I would be an anti-vaxxer. And so when I joined these Facebook groups and discussed things, immediately you could see that they didn't like where I was going because I was anti-COVID vaccine. Well, and, uh, I, I, I think there's a we should do, draw a distinction here and that um, them shifting the goalposts with respect to gene transfection technologies and trying to call them vaccines. I think it was a very, very surreptitious move on behalf of the scientific establishment and to be against uh, gene transfection, a, uh, a, a a novel way, I mean, the technology is old, biologics is old, you know, a few decades, but, um, you know, it was reserved for you know, cancer and, you know, something that was between the individual patient and the doctor and them saying, well, look, we could potentially try this approach with you. Would you like to do it? And it suddenly changed from that to, oh, we're going to force this on people. Uh, essentially via threat of force or loss of job etc and um, so I'm I, I don't I don't class these current uh, technologies in the in, in the vaccine camp I was always very vaccine skeptical myself um, no for sure I was too but my kids got vaccinated for everything they're 19 and 20 mm. but they got vaccinated for everything also right so the way I usually begin is I explain, okay, so in the year 2020, did anyone in the U.S. have a COVID antibody? Uh, no, they didn't. They couldn't have because it requires an infection, which no one had had, or it requires a vaccine, which had not been rolled out yet. So in the blood of 20 million Americans, there were no COVID antibodies. And 20 million of us supposedly, or 20 million plus of us, got COVID in the year 2020. And when we got COVID on day zero of our illness, we didn't have a COVID antibody in our blood. On day seven, we didn't have COVID antibodies in our blood. But the majority of us healed within a week. Or we're well on our way to recovery within a week before antibodies even showed up. Okay, let's say there were 1% antibodies in your blood. Doesn't make a difference. So then the question is, in science, it's always about explaining how. And to me, 7 billion people on Earth, hundreds of millions of scientists, and no one explained how we actually healed from COVID in the year 2020. Not one person. You cannot just say we healed. You cannot just say we recovered. You actually have to describe what happened. 
mechanistically, right? Right. Um, um, I, I'm getting a little feedback. You might just have to turn your speakers down a little bit. Sure. Um, it's it's getting hold of it, but just initially when I when I when I speak. But how's that? Check check check. Yeah, it seems seems okay. Um, so the uh, look, I I I love what you're doing. Um, I'm uh, I'm sort of on your side with uh, the, sure. uh, uh, but what I'll try to do is sort of steel steel man the other side and and sure, bring absolutely. bring data and you know steel sharp and steel. Um, sure. So you know the the response to that would be that. Um, there are a number of factors which could be at play. Um, one is sort of innate immunity, crossover immunity. Um, so let's deal with them one at a time. Sure. Crossover immunity. Mm. So there are some coronaviruses in the population, and you had some people who had, had been exposed to that, not the same spike antigen, but other common antigens within the coronavirus. Okay, so if that's the argument, what I would say is, well, your COVID vaccine, its effect is gone in eight months and you need to be reboosted. Now this coronavirus out in the wild that you had some exposure to with antigens that are different, mildly related, and it's been over a year or two, and that small immunity somehow helped you with COVID-19? Okay, so that, that it, argument is destroyed, it's gone. And then a six-month-old baby, no history of any exposure to coronaviruses anywhere. And that baby, how did that baby survive COVID-19? So see the, the argument of, well, there was some coronavirus in the community. Well, your amazing vaccine that trains you really well, that effect is gone in eight months. And you've gotten quite a bit of antibodies in your blood from that. And some coronavirus out in the wild that is endemic in the population with antigens that are unrelated. And now they've dropped off because it's been over a year, two, four years, it's dropped off. And somehow that tiny bit of cross-react, it doesn't cross-react very well, but that little bit of antibody in your system somehow helped you and prevented you from dying? I don't think so. Well, I, I think the, the rebuttal to that would be um, T-cell memory and those... Okay, but then my argument would be, then the COVID vaccine provides T-cell memory too. Then why does that drop off in eight months? Um. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a fan of the, the, the gene it, transfection tech. They don't have an argument because no matter how you want to slice and dice it, it doesn't require training. These, these infants, six-month-old infants, didn't have T-cell training, didn't have B-cell memory, had a mother that didn't have COVID, and yet within a week wipes out billions of COVID-19 viruses from its body. It didn't need training to know exactly what to do when it faced the enemy. See, it's this idea of training that keeps coming up 
And I just keep trying to make fun of it because your amazing vaccine, the effect is gone in eight months. But a 70 year old, for seven years, he's never been trained. So he's never had vaccines for COVID 19 or any other coronavirus. No training, no boosting, gets COVID in the year 2020, recovers with no training. But your amazing vaccine, it's incredible, and then it needs to be reboosted every eight months. So I have to, I have to ask, um, are, are, are you, would you say that people, or, or do you deny that people got COVID and um, died from COVID, et cetera? Um, Absolutely not. Okay, okay. But um, you're trying to explain why uh, many who did get it recovered and... Um, well, do we not agree that at least 99% of us recovered or 98% and the younger population is higher than that? Well, this is, uh, th I think that's a complex argument. One, because of age uh, risk stratification and also um, the disease burden that comes from um, the long or post-acute uh, sequelae uh, of COVID. And that number runs, um, on average, depending on the study you look at, um, 30%. And okay, so basically what I'm saying is their arguments are getting weaker and weaker because in the year 2020, it doesn't look like a COVID antibody did much. And so I have this bet on Twitter. So the bet says this, a million-dollar bet that the COVID antibody destroyed a million times less COVID RNA strands within lung cells than the ribonuclease enzyme did. So, you know, they don't have, their, in, their molecule can do in a lot less than my molecule did. So within lung cells in the year 2020, okay, because here's the cell, there weren't very many antibodies to block the RNA, the virus from injecting the RNA into the cell. How did we handle that? I am saying that the ribonuclease enzymes destroyed that virus RNA within our lung cells. And that was the first phase of how we recovered. Okay, so does anyone have an alternate theory? Does anyone have an alternate hypothesis for how this virus RNA within our lung cells was destroyed? No one has. No one has an even, no one has an alternative. No one even has a suggestion, oh, it could have been this molecule or it could have been that molecule. No one even proposes a separate enzyme. And uh, the antibody, we know, doesn't go into cells. Uh, yeah, so, so that's, 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 some, that's something that uh, we, we can maybe touch on uh, a bit later. Um, you know, I, I agree with you that the, uh, the hyper-focus on antibodies is... Um, a throwback and a, how should we say, a, a, a battering ram that corporate science uses to um, push an agenda because it's a easily measured biomarker of their product inducing a response, right? Um, it's, it's much, much harder. But that's also how they determine efficacy of the vaccine. And when that marker drops, they also determine that your 
training has dropped also and that you need to be reboosted. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and by definition, a vaccine is a neutralizing antibody. Uh, well, t t you know, I've had these discussions with a few people and, you know, there's the claim that there is a T-cell, um, it, it induces some T-cell memory as well. And it's not entirely dependent on constantly circulating antibodies. So if you if you take uh, a measles vaccine, for example, you don't you don't have high titers of measles antibodies flowing through your blood all the time. It it sort of con it, it's understood to wane, but in that period you've um you've given some training to the other um you know the b cells and the innate uh immunity and um those okay if we're, if we're talking about measles i have to jump in mm. because you know in science if we have a theory if they're certain that the measles vaccine is responsible for the decrease in measles in the u.s over the past 40 years I'll propose another theory. You see red dots, a mom sees a red red dot on child's face. Red dots in the morning. Isolates the child. Can the child spread measles? No. Is there anything known to science that is stronger than isolation at preventing viral spread? No. So that in itself, Here's the alternate hypotheses for why we had a decrease in measles over the past 40 years. Visualization of red dots and isolation. It's a powerful hypothesis. Now, once I have a hypothesis like this that I present, the other side can't take credit for the decrease in measles in the US. They can't say their vaccine did it all. They can't take it because this alternate hypothesis is very viable. And in science, there's nothing stronger than isolation to prevent viral spread. So now they actually have, in science, we test things. Oh, I have an alternate hypothesis. Okay, then let's do a test to see whether your theory is correct or my theory is correct. That's what science is. So then how would they do that study? Take a thousand people, blindfold them to remove the very good, useful effect of visualizing red dots. Blindfold them and blindfold everyone around the child. Because if a teacher sees the red dot, the teacher can say go home. Or the other students can see the red dots and say, no, no, he's got red dots and send the child home. Everyone around that child, this group would have to be blindfolded for a few, couple years. And it's not ethically possible. So the study cannot be done. <laughs> I'd be careful there uh, in the current environment. Uh, anything seems ethically they possible. Might, they might want to try it. But of course <laughs> they won't do it because it would prove my point. It would prove my point. The visualization and isolation is... Ex Imagine if COVID had blue dots when you were infectious. It'd be gone by now. Well, that begs the question <laughs> then about um, why I didn't isolate or the, the strict isolations, the the two weeks look i live in japan right and they they did um a sort of well i, I wouldn't say super strict lockdown uh, I remember, yes. right but the kids were back at school within a month right and they didn't um 
lockdown much. Bars were allowed to stay open. They just asked to close a little early, etc. And um, and Japan was doing very very well, I would argue, until the introduction of <laughs> the gene transfection technologies, and um, and then there was a uh, how should we say, um, yeah, a signal coming through in the data you know the 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 death started to rise and um wave upon wave um went, went through japan um so i'm <coughs> i'm i'm reluctant to um oversimplify the uh, the or, or, or disease mechanisms to, to begin with. Um, but no one's even proposed a mechanism for how we survive, right? I'm proposing one. Then if no one else has a proposal, they have to look at the one I'm proposing. And the one I'm proposing is very simple. If this is a cell and there were no antibodies to block, because antibodies are basically to block the virus from infecting the cell. And there were no antibodies to block the virus, the COVID virus, from infecting cells. The virus infected as many lung cells as it wanted to. And yet, at least 95% of us survived. I'm not going to say the, the others didn't survive, but the ones that survived, let's understand the mechanism. And then the moment inside the cell, the virus RNA is the enemy. And what should we do to the enemy? destroy it. And what are the options to destroy the RNA? Ribonuclease, endonuclease enzymes. There are, There is nothing else. And then if that in fact is what destroyed it, then a lot of us survived using that early mechanism. And then of course later other mechanisms chip in. Interferons produced, all sorts of other things, chemokines are produced. But in the early phase, this is what helped us. And how do you activate ribonuclease enzymes even further? So the ribonuclease enzyme is a pit bull, and it's very efficient at destroying RNA. And you have this inhibitor bound to it that is some of the tightest protein-protein interactions known to scientists on Earth today. And the inhibitor has six sulfhydryl groups. The moment those six sulfhydryl groups are oxidized, it lets go. When it lets go, the ribonuclease pit bull is ready to destroy RNA. How do you oxidize the inhibitor? Fasting. Fasting increases reactive oxygen substrates within a cell. The inhibitor is oxidized. It lets go. The ribonuclease clears RNA, including Rs. But we have DNA. We can make more RNA. Now, that is a very simplistic explanation of how we actually healed and what we can do. Because, see, people are always confused. The human body did an amazing job without antibodies in the blood. You have to understand what the human body did because you're never helping unless you know what the person is doing. Yeah, a little kid tries to come help you, you know, build a cabinet. It's not help when the kid doesn't know what you're doing. I have a surgery tech that tries to assist me in surgery. They don't know what I'm doing. It's a nightmare. I'd rather not have them. 
and a surgical assistant who's with me and who knows what I'm doing, very, very helpful because they're helping me. They know what I need to do and they're assisting me. So the human body does this amazing job. At least 95% of us recover. If you want to assist the human body, you have to know what it did. And in the early phases of the disease, it used ribonuclease enzymes to destroy RNA. No one on earth has another hypothesis. No one on earth has another idea of how the RNA within the lung cell was destroyed. No one. Not even, oh, what about this? No one has even thrown anything out there. Well, so, but it, 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 again, it sort of begs the question, um, it, it, the way you're sort of presenting it is, it, it kind of sounds that people didn't, didn't get ill because of ribonucleases. Uh, oh, they got ill. Right. No, I didn't say they didn't get ill. They got ill. Mm. So, um. They didn't die. Yeah, but is, is, is that not a, um. We know people got sick. You and I both agree people got sick. Mm. I did. Very. Yeah. <laughs> we, we both agree that over 95% survived. Mm. We're trying to explain how the people who got sick survived. There has to be some mechanism that the human body used. And if no one else has an alternate hypothesis, you've got to go with the most, the most straightforward one. And the ribonuclease enzymes, it's not a new thing. There are thousands of papers on it. It's not a new thing. It's not something I found. But they didn't realize the impact that it had. It is. The antibody did nothing compared to the ribonuclease, meaning I said, look, make a bet. A million dollars I'm offering. If you think something else did it, make a bet because I'm giving you a million to one odds. Well, it's a million dollars each way, but I my, my molecule has to destroy a million times more virus RNA than your molecule, whatever molecule you want to bring up. And I'll still beat you. Um, so uh, I, I spend and, a... and so this is the thing. This is how simple it is. And so how do you further activate what the human body did? You fast. Now, let's go back to a very basic layman person's understanding. We all know viruses don't grow on their own. Every school kid knows a virus does not grow on its own. Where does it grow? Inside human cells. Are our human cells always growing at the same speed? No, they are not. If you're not eating, they slow down their growth. If they keep, if our human cells keep growing when you're not eating, that's called cancer. So every school kid knows viruses don't grow on their own. They grow within our cells. Our cells don't all grow at the same speed. When we don't eat, they grow a lot slower. So feed a fever, starve a cold. It turns out it's starve both. Every infant, every person on earth, seven billion of us, when you were a toddler and you got sick, you got fussy and you didn't eat because evolution figures this out. It has time on its hands and it usually gets it right. Seven billion of us, 99% of us, when we were three and we got sick, we got fussy and we did not eat because that is the answer. The way to fight the virus is don't grow it. And, you know, I'm, I'm focusing and I'm pushing because, look, people don't know this. When you get a sore throat and you get COVID, the next few days, food could kill you. Now, if people knew that, would they really eat? 
Some people tell me, well, I didn't feel like eating anyways. That's not the point. What if you had been invited to a birthday party and you had a little cake? Or, you know, you had a dinner, you know, your wife's anniversary and you're going to have a steak dinner. You might have eaten half your steak. It can still kill you. See, we didn't have good food. We didn't have spaghetti factories and not burgers a thousand years ago, 10,000 years ago. The food on the ground didn't look so good when you were sick. But if you've ever been out in the wild and you like, didn't have enough food and you're hungry for a couple of days, you'll eat anything. And that's how we were 10,000 years ago. But this modern you know, civilization, we have all this food. Our instinct to not eat was enough for, Kate, for anyone 10,000 years ago. It was enough. But is it enough today? No, because we have much more tasty food. Well, I, I, I have to emphasize over and over because, look, it's winter. People are getting sick all over. In Asia and China, it's a huge deal. And the solution is that simple. Now, see, I gave you the layman's version, right? Every school kid knows viruses don't grow on their own. They grow within our cells. And if you don't, if your cells are growing slower, it grows the virus slower. Then it less virus is released. And if less virus is released, less of your cells are sick. Then you're coughing out less virus. Then less people around you are sick. And even if they're sick and if they know not to eat, then it's not a super serious issue for them either. And the pandemic is over. Yeah, everyone talks about, oh, if we had been locked down for two weeks, theoretically, then the pandemic would have been over. Theoretically, if everyone fasted for three days, the pandemic would have been over too. Uh, well, that, on the presumption that they had uh, the virus. Uh, um... Whether they had or not, we wouldn't, I'm just saying theory, right? because we really can't shut everything down for two weeks anyways. Ah, they tried. Uh, well, they did. So th because inside a family, right, if there's one person who has it, and he started his illness, and the other person didn't get it for a week and a half later, then that person would be sick for two weeks. And if you release that family after two weeks, there would still be COVID in that family unit. So really, it wouldn't have been over in two weeks unless everyone was completely isolated by themselves within the household, which can't happen because you know you have AC circulation, ventilation. So when we, when we talk about theoretical, what could have been, you can go down that rabbit hole forever, but it's silliness. Because And if you want to talk that way, which is silly, I'll say the fastest theoretical way is if everyone just doesn't eat for three days, which is silly, but it is a cure. Well, yeah, so from this, from your line of argumentation, your, um, let's not say medical advice, but um, your, theory, your theory would just suggest that if you think that you are becoming ill, um, fasting, um, it's critical. You know, if you love your elderly relatives and your parents and grandparents, if they don't know this, they can kill themselves. My 99-year-old grandmother was in a COVID unit in Georgia with the flu a year and a half so, or so ago. I called up the doctors because I'm in, here now in LA, and I said, don't put glucose in her IV. Don't give her anything. No calories. She walked out in like four or five days. She walked out on her own two feet at the age of 99. And when she came in, she was intubated for like three days. Oh, she was intubated. Though. Well, she had the flu. 
And so they intubated her and she was in a COVID unit where, you know, the virus is everywhere. And they think, oh, Dr. Lee, don't worry about it. I'm like, what do you mean? Don't worry about it. You're gowned up, you're masked up, but you don't change everything from patient. You might, you may, you, who knows whether you're giving it to her or not. I don't know. But the point being, and then my parents had COVID a few months ago and made sure they didn't eat for two days and they were both fine. My mom passed away, you know, a couple of weeks ago, she had a big stroke. All right. But <clears throat> the point is, there are so many people around me that tried this. Now, I know more about lung is issues than most because when I first came to California in 1994, I got this bad cold. I had this dry hacking cough six months, eight months. And I had that recur maybe at least a dozen, maybe at least 10 times in the past 24 years. So I was attentive to this. I thought more about this than, than any person on earth before COVID even occurred. And I finally figured out what all my issues were, right? And I took care of it. But I, I was very well aware of issues in the lung. And so when COVID came, January of 2020, I was on the phone with my friend. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do this little thought experiment. You know, when I get a cold, that rhinovirus infects a lung cell or nasal mucosal cell, it infects it. And it propagates and it goes out and it infects other cells. And I can feel it in the back of my throat. So at least 10,000 cells had to have been infected. And I told myself, I asked him on the phone, what I don't understand is this, why would that process ever stop? That cycle of infecting a cell, propagating, leaving, infecting other cells, why would that cycle ever stop? Because something stopped it. And I said, if I can understand what stopped that, maybe it's the same for every respiratory virus. And I told myself, I'm going to exclude antibodies. And the reason is sometimes like I have a cold, I know it. And in four days, I'm over it. No time for any kind of antibodies whatsoever. And if you want to talk about T cells, okay, there's 300 million lung cells in your body, T cells. <laughs> You have to go interview every cell and figure out at what state of infection they're at and when you decide to kill them. And if they're infected slightly or more, when you kill them. And then you have to redo this every two days. It's like testing how we test for COVID. The cells would have to test lung cells for COVID. There, there, there is a um, phenomenon called uh, they're, they're non-specific non antibodies which do still bind, which are in... And if they're so important, why do we have vaccines? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, uh, <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm, not I'm, I'm not on the on the vaccine I know, side I know, here, right? uh, um, But the, the, you know, I'm <clears throat> I'm you know my uh, you know I did clinical neuroscience, and um, my uh, take is, is always. Um, be, be very, very careful about sort of binary thinking with respect to complex systems. And, um, and and that's what I'm saying. That's what they do. I'm not doing it. They're doing it. Because if you have a complex system and you have 50 engines in a car, you take out one engine and the engine runs and you put it back in the car, you can't tell me that that car is running because of that one engine that you found. There are other engines. Okay, this is the analogy I always give people. I live in a farmhouse with 30 cats. I never see mice, just never see mice. 
You're a cat person? I'm stopping the interview right now then. That's uh, joking. <laughs> I'm, a do- I'm a dog person myself, but... Uh... <laughs> so if, if, if there were no rats, and then one day, one year, in the year 2021, 20, I put out a rat trap, and I catch a rat... Is that rat trap now the reason why I never saw rats before? No, because there was another, is a false positive. And you know, in medicine, game science, false positives are a huge issue. And that's what you're describing. Complex systems, there are huge issues with finding a positive. Does it mean that's your reason for the recovery? Okay, they found one. I go all the way back to polio. I say, your first vaccine was on polio. All right, and here is my theory on why polio was not your vaccine. So I can create another, if I can create another alternate hypothesis, you have to listen to me and you have to test it because that is what science is. So you think it was your vaccine. I'm going to say, okay, I'm a 14-year-old kid at the time of polio. I'm scared to death. My, my friends got paralyzed, a couple of them. They can't move, and I don't want to be like that. I'm scared to death. Everyone is scared. You don't know where it's coming from. It could be anywhere. It could be uh, some uh, mouse disease. Clarify, anything, right? you, you actually had friends who got paralyzed from COVID, uh, from no, polio? I'm, I'm or... coming up with a, oh, oh, okay. Up with like, <laughs> so if this, if this happened, and I'm living at the time of polio, mm. and if this happened, and I'm a 14-year-old kid at the time, then everyone's freaking out. Here's the theory. The moment the researchers, researchers develop, understand what the mode of transmission is for polio, is fecal oral. That means an infected person with polio has to have a bowel movement. That feces has to end up in my mouth and I have to swallow it. Then I become paralyzed. So if I'm a kid at the time, I'm like, okay, I can handle that. Not too hard. No one else's shit is coming into my mouth. And I'm not gonna swallow. I'm gonna keep my lips sealed. I'm not gonna wash my hands everywhere. I'm gonna boil all the food I eat. And then polio disappears. Okay, so this is an alternate hypothesis. And it's a very good one. And what they found, do I really care that they found an antibody that binds to the polio vaccine antigen? I mean, that they found an antibody that binds to the polio antigen inside a test tube. Do I care? Because that polio never came into my mouth. Do I care what's happening in the test tube? I don't care what they found. That's not the reason why it went away. I don't care if you found one rat in a rat trap. That's not the reason why you don't see all these rats. You've got 30 cats. It's a false positive. So the first vaccine ever, false positive. And how how will they ever disprove me? How? We can't go to our dirty ways. Now, interestingly enough, in Pakistan, I was talking to a nurse at my mom's bedside. And this nurse was, you know, I talked nonstop about vaccines to everyone, especially medical. And I'm explaining, and she's listening, she's listening. Usually people shut me up and they want to back away and leave. And I keep talking. And then she's so interested, I keep talking, keep talking. And she goes, well, what do you think about polio? I'm like, I know a lot about polio. She goes, because we still have polio in Pakistan. I'm like, oh, well, I know it. The vaccine does nothing. And they're trying so hard with the vaccine. They're trying to, you know, educate everyone, make sure all the kids get vaccinated. I'm like, it has nothing to do with it. So I said, you know, I have Indian friends from medical school. I said, 
do you guys still eat with your hands like they do in India? Yeah, they do. She goes, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, there you go. That's it. Okay. If everyone goes to eating with utensils, you have to keep your dirty water separate from your clean water. If well, that is public sanitation has to be improved. You improve your public sanitation. Just as a little anecdote, my my wife is uh, half half Pakistani, half half Japanese, and um, so I've got, oh. I've got some insight into the culture there. So um, they they have a thing with um, th their left hand is for wiping the backs. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So, so you don't go. Guess. You got to keep your hands like this then. I guess. <laughs> just, so, just never, never offer your left hand to uh, someone from uh, <laughs> the Indian subcontinent for a handshake. I guess. <laughs> so you see how silly this is that mm. the vaccine built itself on a false positive and a very, very impressive false positive, extremely impressive. But that always begs a question to me: You found an antibody inside your body that binds to the antigen. And you concluded that was the reason why you recovered. Well, to me, it's a false positive. It happened at the same time. Okay, You know when an antibody attacks our joints, that's arthritis. You don't appreciate that. It's not useful. So why would every antibody in our body be purposeful? and beneficial to us. It could be a side effect. When the antibody attacks our heart valves and rheumatic fever, it's a very bad side effect. When it attacks our joints, it's a bad side effect. Sometimes it doesn't mean anything. Sometimes it's very beneficial. You've got to decide, is this antibody very beneficial or is it just a side effect or it doesn't even matter. You don't know. You can't just say, I found it, now it's useful. That's the jump they made. I found it, it's useful. That jump isn't real. They made that leap, and it seemed really small at the time because the antibody binding the antigen in the test tube was so incredible. But it's meaningless. You know, strep throat, horrible. Those strep antibodies, rheumatic fever, ruined millions of lives in the early 19th century. The number one cause of death for children under 20 was rheumatic fever from one antibody to the strep throat. But we don't say thank you to that antibody. We curse it. So just because you find an antibody in the blood means shit. Yeah, it, it, it falls into this domain of um, it, it, it's an easy metric. And yeah, it, it's a assay. Right, it, it's something that they can quantify, and um, in a, in a corporate environment where you know, I I I think on on the list of priorities, health health comes down here, and the money making aspect is a, a I completely agree. Certainly, that's the problem. And you know, there's a you know, I I think a strong argument to be made that a, a lot of a lot of what happened over the last few years was them looking to reshape and re uh, um, reconstruct the 
the system in such a way that this that they were true believers in this new mrna type platforms um it it provides or in theory it provided a easy easy way of finding a disease outbreak to disseminating the sequence electronically to then being able to quickly ramp up production and um you know why you know it's a deeper it's a deeper question than that but i think a lot of a lot of what we've seen is them trying to completely do away with the old old way of doing vaccinology and you know which was eggs traditionally and then um sort of subunit type vaccines etc and um but the yeah i mean i'm i'm in perfect agreement with you that as a as as a if you look at if you look at all the vaccines that actually work Mm. measles mumps rubella smallpox you look at them all Mm. they're all viruses that we heal from fairly well and mostly viruses that give us a very good indication that they're present with red dots smallpox huge red dots everywhere still red dots and you can stay away very easily the moment you're in under you understand germ theory then you can stay away isolation works isolation is extremely powerful and so of course if somebody has smallpox and they look like you know they're just some crazy alien no one's want wants to get close anyways well with measles when i was young they had measles parties it wasn't the end of the world and you healed from it pretty well. So this is what I call the rain dancing. There's a drought, it rains. There's a drought, it rains. There's a drought, you put a rain dancer, that rain dancer is going to make it rain every time. He's got a 100% success rate. Temporal correlation, he came before the rain, that was it. So you have measles, you recover, you have measles, you recover. You have measles, you stick in the vaccine. You're going to recover anyways because you always did. Not always, but 99.9% of the times. Severe measles, measles encephalitis, encephalopathy was very rare. So they picked the viruses that we heal from pretty well. Look at all the viruses we don't heal from very well. Encephalitis, EWV. No, we don't heal from them very well. Vaccines don't work. Look at HIV, does not work. Look at hepatitis, does not work. The really severe viruses, the vaccines do shit for. Yeah. So they, they have this amazing thing where they always look for a good result. You have to have a good result with vaccines. Well, yo, 99% of people recover from COVID. You've got a pretty good result. I always describe this, this village. You have a village of 100 people. Everyone gets COVID. Five people die. That means 95 people did not die. The next year, if all 95 people get COVID, the chance of somebody dying is very low. They survive the first time. <clears throat> Why would they die the second time? So wow. this village, just, 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 100 people die, five people die. You give the vaccine after the first, the 95 people that survive get the vaccine. They're going to survive. They were going to survive anyways. Well, there's the... The, the science they're doing is so shoddy. It's unbelievable. 
Yeah, I, 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 look, you'll get no argument for me about the, <laughs> the shoddy science, but there's... That's uh, why I said that, because I want an agreement from you. Yeah, <laughs> just... Uh, but there's, um, there's the issue around, um, and you could probably maybe point a finger at the um, gene transfection technologies playing a part in this, but um, there, there does seem to be a phenomenon of reinfection, particularly in uh, a large... I won't say a large cohort, but a significant cohort. And um, the, uh, you know, um, I don't, I don't want to drag too much into sort of the, well, I, I don't know, maybe you want to, but the, uh, th there's a, a lot of indicator that um, SARS is able to attack CD4 T cells. And um, I, I recently learned that RSV does this, and um, the other canonical uh, disease is HIV. And um, I'm I'm wondering, uh, or, or how would you how would you factor that okay. into into your sort of therapeutic okay. so or, or host response? HIV. RSV, they're very difficult viruses. Influenza is more mild. So where does COVID stand within this range? I would argue that COVID is more mild than influenza and the reason. So influenza has been within humanity for at least 10, 20,000 years. It's, if COVID can mutate, influenza can mutate. It can get try to get trickier and trickier within our human human population. COVID, influenza has been in this a long time. COVID three years. So if you want to give COVID amazing mutating powers, you have to give influenza amazing mutating powers. And influenza has been with us for twenty thousand years now. COVID came from bats, pangolins, whatever animals it came from. Pangolins diverged from carnivora fifty million years ago. So they don't look like us on the outside or inside. They're all subtly different. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. think it came from a pangolin. Or a, well, it might have a bat backbone, but... Um... So either way, it mastered the pangolin. It mastered it. Now, every little mutation to get better and master the pangolin, those mutations don't work against us. For humanity, for humans, it's a baby virus. Now, it can get worse. It can get stronger. RSV is quite tricky. RSV even actually tries to hide inside the cell. RSV has all these little strategies. COVID is a baby virus within us, and it's with, when it comes in, it can get in. But when it comes in, it just gets wiped out. So the, well, says, the problem with COVID in this in this instance is that it does. So one of the problems with it is this furin cleavage site, which allows it to it gives it this enhanced tissue tropism. And we learned from the first SARS that uh, it can. Uh, it's a neurotrophic virus, which means it'll get into the central nervous system, which is sort of immunoprivileged uh, domains, and it seems to be able to. Um, sit in reservoirs and perhaps this is one of the reasons that we um we see to... i don't i don't really believe that because it's it's rna virus 
I really don't believe that. And it, I think it gets wiped out pretty easily. Well, HIV, HIV is an RNA virus, and, you know, that's one of the um, classic... Yeah, yeah, it inserts itself into our genome, yes. But this one, this one doesn't. This one doesn't know us at all. Okay. Well, there's so some HIV evidence. HIV came from chimps, and it's been in chimps for how long? Or monkeys or whatever it was. They're 99% identical to us inside. All their proteins, very, very similar. COVID is a very, very, come from a pangolin that is completely different inside. So this is the way I say it. Then what they want to argue, then why did you have more deaths from COVID? Okay, let's pretend it's year 2010. And I am the director of infectious disease, not Fauci. And out of your 30 friends, three get the flu every year. And they stay at home and sweat it out. Well, this year, 2010, I scare the living daylights out of them. And I say, no, this is a bad strain. This one's an evil strain. It, it just, it's pathogenicity is huge. Everyone's gonna die. Everyone panics. 30 million Americans, they get the flu every year, sweat it out at home. Now, they're, and they're young, they're healthy. And now they panic. And 20 million go to emergency rooms. There's only 5,000 emergency rooms in the US. 20 million young people I scare with an April Fool's joke in the year 2010. And they all rush into 5,000 emergency rooms over the span of eight months. You know what happens? Every person that goes in, whether masked up or not, you've seen the videos in the cold air, the, the, you know, the steam coming out everywhere. Everyone's going to infect at least seven elderly, five, three, five, seven elderly people. You're going to have. 60 million elderly people infected, and 6 million die of the flu. Influenza, if, if, you, if you ask me, which would you rather give a baby, COVID or influenza? I would give the baby, if I was forced to, under duress, and they're gonna shoot everyone, and they're gonna kill 100 people if I don't do this. I would give the baby COVID, because the COVID virus is a baby virus for humanity. You talk about HIV. Yeah, HIV came from something very chimps, monkeys, whatever, 99.3% identical to us in our genome. Pangolins, no, completely different. And so if COVID mastered the pangolin, it's a baby virus for us, which is why our infants, having never faced that enemy, know exactly what to do and whack it. Well, so, uh, you know, I want to, I want to be here to sort of uh, help you refine your argument somewhat. So, okay. <laughs> um, you know, to, uh, no one, no one buys the pangolin argument. And the issue that we have is, like I say, I mentioned um, Department of Defense funding into these programs. And what they were doing was um, inserting um, furin, human furin cleavage sites into um, the spike protein of um, various um, candidate spikes from bat viruses, potentially. Um, but what again? What this what this did? If it's and you know we can have a discussion about. Um, but what what the intent was, but I would I would I, I sort of sit in the camp of we've seen a very uh, a freakishly weird coordinated response globally that um, everyone sort of 
uh, yeah, they they were they were ready to roll with the same programs um, globally at, at the sort of flick of a switch, and so they they had to they had to come up with something that was um, how should I say um, an, enough to spook enough of the population and you know doing what I do which is sort of stream about COVID I tend to focus on the sort of neuroscience aspect of it but um, the the impact of the virus itself well again you know it varies among individuals but the this larger cohort that comes out with long t longer term issues is significant and um a lot of that i would put forward is because of its ability to uh penetrate into the central nervous system um peripheral nervous system and areas that are hard to uh reach and and get to so we have to we have to sort of find ways to um Fred, Fred the needle with respect to you know you know I'm I'm liking a lot of, a lot of what you're saying, but you know the I mean being in neuroscience you, mm. you're completely well aware of the blood brain barrier mm -hmm. mm. yeah and typically molecules that can cross blood brain barrier the blood brain barrier have to have a molecular weight of under five hundred daltons mm. so you know glucose is six carbons six times twelve seventy six oxygens. 16 times 600, it's under about 350 Daltons. So glucose can definitely cross the blood-brain barrier. But molecules that are larger than 500 Daltons have a very difficult time crossing the blood-brain barrier. And that's the second point to my issue. So the lung is an airspace inside our body. And our body is 70% water. There's also a blood-lung barrier. Without this blood-lung barrier, water would rush into our lungs and we would drown in our own fluids. So the blood-lung barrier keeps the lungs dry. Water, H2O, 18 Daltons, has a hard time crossing this blood-lung barrier. It's just, if you look at a picture of the alveolus, there's a little round sac, air sac, with a capillary wrapping around it. That is, in essence, the lung. And inside the cap, the alveolus is where the lung cells are being infected. The alveolar wall is a lung barrier. The capillary with water, red blood cells, and antibodies wrap around it. Now the wall prevents water from crossing in. 18 Daltons. COVID antibodies are 145,000 Daltons. It's not like, oh, it's a thousand Daltons and it might squeeze in. It's a hundred and forty-five thousand Daltons. There is no viable path for the antibody across this alveolar wall into the lung where the lung cells are being infected by COVID. So then how will the antibody ever neutralize a COVID virus before the virus infects a lung cell? Yeah, so this is, <laughs> I, I had to sort of go digging around and having a look at these claims. So, um, you know, and I, I want you to succeed at what you're doing, right? Um, which is 
So you know, there's there's the issue around um, mucosal secretion and um, so there's a it's not a dry layer. There's a muco that it's covered in a fine mucus layer, and it it didn't it didn't take me very long to um, find the IgG. You know, we make the presumption that IgA etc. are um, essentially at the at the mucosal barrier. That's the the, the sort of primary antibodies, but the uh, the I I could find paper after paper which um, can identify IgG as being detectable within this uh, mucosal barrier transcytosis um, being the mechanism by which antibodies are passaged through um, you know yeah looks like point two percent right. You know how complicated transcytosis is. Mm. I mentioned that in my paper, you know, my seventy-three page mm. paper to Fauci, February twenty twenty-one. But the, so the, the 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 issue we have here, though, is that um, your 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 claim is that there's it it's not there, and it, it when you no, 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 we... no 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 everything is gray. Mm. It's the amount that's there. Because if it's less than 1%, well, in your blood, if it drops by half or by 80%, they freak out and you need another vaccination. But you get, you get less than 1% cross the blood-lung barrier, and that's enough? Well, like I say, what, what, what I would like to be able to you do know, is, is... When I presented this information to Dr. Fauci in September or October of 2020, he passed it off to Dr. Emily or Belding, who responded to me. And she said, and I have to have her email. And she said, she only gave one word for it. She's basically focused on their good data. She gave me one word for it. Her one word was, Dr. Lee, uh, the COVID antibody crosses the blood-lung barrier by a process called transudation. And then she quoted Wagner, 1985 article. So I looked it up. Wagner says transudation is simple diffusion. And then he describes exactly what could cross a blood-lung barrier via simple diffusion at certain sizes of, of molecules. And at a 100,000 molecule size, Wagner says by simple diffusion, fixed law of diffusion, less than 1% would cross this blood-lung barrier. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's a sort of uh, viable mechanism. It's the same for the blood-brain barrier, right? So the generally, antibodies are, uh, are kept out, but under... Remember, this is Dr. Belding. She's the director of infectious disease at the NIH. <laughs> yeah, he's a... And uh, she's quoting a 25-year-old paper, longer than that. 35-year-old paper to justify vaccinating 12 billion people. Yeah. <laughs> when I when when I bring up this issue, I'm like, you guys should know this cold, right? I, so you see the huge issues. One, it wasn't even there in the year 2020, the antibody. And when it arrives late, it has a really difficult time getting in. And even the top doctors 
don't really can't really figure out how it gets in. Simple diffusion doesn't work. I don't think it's um, a simple diffusion, but you know, in disease states, membranes become leaky. Um, that, like I say, there is a mechanism Absolutely. of. of passage into mucosal secretion time the blood lung barrier is leaky and fluid is rushing in and you're getting white out in your lungs by that time you know the reason why that occurred is because lung cells were dying white blood cells were freaking out and they're releasing elastase other proteolytic enzymes that just destroy membranes and destroy the whole area to try to contain the infection within that area they don't even know what they're doing they aren't it's not a coordinated effort they're just trying their best and so the, when the blood-lung barrier is breached, the fluid rushes in, for sure. Antibodies go in, too. But you've, you're sending in Boy Scouts with little dark guns. That's what the antibody is. These white blood cells are, what, 10,000 nanometers in diameter, and your antibody is 9 nanometers in length. And these white blood cells have released all these crazy catalytic, proteolytic enzymes. And now, now, you're going to send all that up with these little antibodies that are just basically touch. They touch. They touch, and that's it. And when they touch, the theory of how they destroy something is they touch, and the white blood cell sees it and gobbles it up. That's the theory. But the white blood cells are already there destroying everything. So why do you need the marker there then? Okay, I agree it gets in. And I agree virus comes out. But it's all too late in the game. You know, in a war, the sequence of operations is critical. <laughs> There's no point sending in the Boy Scouts after you send in these Apache helicopters with white phosphorus that have this nuke the area, there's no point. Uh, yes, I there, but what's the point? Again, I would, I would be, um, in, in the people listening to me who follow my sure. stream, um, you sure. know, the, we've gone through a um, didactic process of me sort of trying to relay experience and learning, learning together, I've had to learn uh, a, a whole bunch too over the last uh, few years as we uh, <laughs> as we try and um undo the gaslighting that they've uh, they've done with us at a at a um public uh, well public health level um my my concern would be i i, I get that you you're trying to sort of reach a, a lot of people and so that that sort of requires you to sort of simplify the message somewhat i'm not simplifying it it's exactly the way it's occurring yeah but the, 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 what's going to happen though is is as you try to um come at the system then what they're going to do is is they'll gish glop you with um article after article which will say for example the um the mucosal igg and the, the secretion etc these are these are things that they can point to and say well you, you know we can see the these antibodies as being present as part of the mucosal barrier and you know i did a quick scan for these papers and the interaction between igg and iga and um all the you know, all the other um components of the, and, and you know the even the antibodies themselves get split down into different subclasses etc it becomes a very very um complex um tapestry of uh and that's what they always want to say they always want to say you don't understand it's complex mm. and i say 
well, you got your COVID vaccine approval based on this hypothesis of a neutralizing antibody in the lung airspace. Now, you can describe it as complex as you want to. Go ahead, do it. But put it in writing and resubmit your FDA approval because that's how science works. You can't just tell me I don't understand it. It doesn't anymore, they did. They, they, they've, they've shown us that, 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 that these systems, and look, I, I was... I, Three, three, four years ago, I would have been uh, a believer in that there would have been scientific pushback. Were the data there that says, you know, things, things, or there are problems in hypotheses that are being presented? Um, you know, we're dealing with a system that's, uh, um, it, it's, it has a mission that's barreling towards a um, mission goal. And they're they're unconcerned about what academics or clinicians would uh, had been trained to believe would be the well the safety mechanisms that w that we had in place, or I thought we had in place, because I <laughs> I thought we had ethics boards and we had. Um, review and we had we had all these um steps towards uh making sure that the best problem is you have you have humans at every step oh yeah yeah <laughs> paid off and this is how this is how ironic it is to me because over the past two and a half three years i've talked to so many doctors every fda nih cdc doctor i call up and i start explaining this to not one of them says, oh, my God, Dr. Lee, oh, we've got to take care of this. We've got to fix this. Not one. But on the outside, the med students, the nurses, the doctors that I come in for a consult for LASIK with me, when I discuss this, every one of them is like, wow, wow, they really screwed up. So why the difference in response? They're going to protect their turf. They're going to protect their money. Now, I remember the FDA, there's one one director that responded back and forth at least four times to me. She saw the issue. She was new, okay, brand new in her job. And she still had her morals and ethics, and I could tell her she was trying to help me. But up the chain, they're all going to ignore it. Yeah. And then she realized that she had to get away from this. Oh, so I, I, I've made that decision too because I, I I can't countenance what what I see going on, which is a a, a, a complete um, failure of these institutes and systems. It just means that they've been bought out, or the the positions have been filled by spineless lickspittles who are too concerned about their next grant or their you know their pension to wanting to be um raising their hand and saying something doesn't look right with the data that we're seeing and this uh, uh, well personally uh, you know you could burn it all down as far as i'm concerned if these people didn't speak out right in, in you know in the life sciences we can start uh, over the last three years uh, clinicians as well and and they've especially kept quiet um with respect to uh you know what they're seeing in the clinics with <clears throat> excuse me um adverse events which 
you know, if theirs is anything to go by, um, dwarf anything that we're seeing. And you know, I, I've been on this earth fifty years. I don't, I don't remember seeing celebrities and news presenters and um, constantly. The brainwashing was pretty complete. Right, but they're just keeling over and and dying on a, a, a weekly basis now. And, um, yeah. I, the ex-CEO of Gilead. I mean, you know, the hepatitis drug they made, and they made a lot of money on it. Mm. I was talking to a VC. Mm. He's like, yeah, he got the vaccine a couple weeks later. He was just after he retired. A couple weeks later, he goes taking a walk, and he collapsed with a heart attack. Mm. My brother, after a second dose, two weeks later, two to three weeks later, big heart attack. It's everywhere. It's happening everywhere. I even have a whole thread on how this possibly might occur. You know, this mRNA technology, I break it down in several different ways. One of the ways I explain is, let's say, let's say you have a thousand units of RNA in this vaccine. Okay. So you inject, you, yeah, you know why it was frozen? You know uh, uh, do I know why it's right? Yeah, because because it's such a um, sensitive uh, molecule to but what, what to to what to transfect into people. So you've got no, to keep it at the. Um... No, it's it's a it's very it, it's very labile because ribonuclease enzymes destroy it. Uh, so it, you you're not in that area of research, but you you there are areas of research labs. Where they have ribonuclease-free zones, oh, yeah, yeah. because they deal with RNA. Mm. Now, humans, we shed RNA everywhere. Not just humans; every cell on Earth that is DNA comprised, bacteria even have ribonuclease enzymes. Plants use ribonuclease enzymes. Every cell that has DNA has ribonuclease enzymes because you can't withstand the virus onslaught. Ribonuclease enzymes are one of the most ubiquitous enzymes on Earth. They're in the mucus that you're describing. The mucus secretions, they're everywhere. They're on your skin, they're in your hair, they're in your beard, they're on your hat. It's virtually impossible to free up. You have an area free of ribonuclease enzymes. So then, Pfizer and Moderna, they're vials contaminated with ribonuclease enzymes. And it's hit and miss because you could have a clean, perfectly clean one, but you, you might not because it's in the dust. So then you would think, okay, autoclave that, take care of it. No, ribonuclease enzymes are unusual in, in that most enzymes you, you autoclave and you heat up and they coagulate, they're not functional. Ribonuclease enzymes maintain a very good function. Eat, not all of them, but even after autoclaving. Yeah, interesting. So that's why they are frozen at sub-zero. Okay, so now they're frozen at sub-zero. Because enzymes can't move, they can't do anything. Yeah, so I I I, I would um, sort of push push back a little bit on this that um, uh, extracellular signaling um, does does require secretion of messenger RNAs, and the way that the way that the body gets around those is by um, packaging them up into exosomes and um, releasing them that way and in with that um 
protective layer they're able to passage through the through the body and um signal to other cells what what's going on what you know <laughs> the joe joe down the the vein uh the blood vessel is secreting this now i should i should pay attention to what's going on and you know might might be signaling that there's a a, a viral um disease going well any disease but the, there there are ways that the body gets around these uh protease um breakdown mechanisms and you know this is wrapping them in um lipid vesicles and um you know naked rna i i'll i'll concede the point that yeah it it gets broken down very easily because you don't want um you don't even want your own body's rna just sort of leaking out um because it will do you you don't want it sort of getting into the the sort of systemic circulation and um uh causing mis misregulation in cellular communication it has to be a very controlled environment in which in which to do it and so um i can i can see why the if you ask if you ask pfizer Moderna, their scientists every one of them knows why it was frozen because you are an ace mm. and there's like even papers on it okay so basically what happens is if you have a thousand units and if it's frozen if you thaw it out the rna starts working and then the thousand units could go down to 900 could down, go down to 500 you have no idea because if you thought for 30 seconds versus a minute versus two minutes, you're going to have a different amount of RNA left over. Now, well, which is what they found in the files. Once you inject it, once you inject it. Now, some of them get into cells and some don't. You're going to have a variable amount. It could be done by half easily. 20% get in, 80% don't. 80% get in, 20%, you don't know. And then once it's inside the cell, you have a varying amount of production of the COVID antigen. And once you have the production of COVID antigen, you have a variable amount of secretion of the antigen. You could have a thousand percent difference in the amount of COVID antigen that you actually produce given the identical same starting thousand units. Now, if you have a thousand percent difference, what happens? You have a thousand percent difference in the amount of antibodies you form. And if you form too many antibodies, you know that albumin makes the blood thicker and it's a 50 kilodalton molecule. And this is a 145,000 dot molecule. And if you make a lot of them, you're going to make the blood much thicker and cardiovascular the heart cardiovascular system is basically a pump system and with pumps and pipes when the fluid is more viscous the more most difficult part is for the pump the thicker the fluid the more work on the pump well our heart is the pump and our heart is fed oxygen by these little blood vessels and they're really small and the smaller caliber pipes have less flow as the blood thickens increased viscosity less flow through smaller diameter caliber pipes. Coronary vessels are really small. You have more work required on the heart because of thicker blood. You have less 
oxygen flow through the coronary vessels. And so normally walking up a flight of stairs might not be enough exertion to cause a heart attack. But when you thicken your blood with an unknown amount of antibodies, you could. And see, this is how stupid their whole platform is. Every part of their platform, now this mRNA technology, let's say it's from another medication in the future, right? Well, if I need insulin, I need 10 units in the next 10 minutes. If you're telling me that the amount can be off by a thousand percent, I don't want one unit, I want 10 units. I don't want a hundred units, I want 10 units. Yeah, and, and there is no medication that they can possibly make that can be useful if the amount that they produce is off by a thousand percent. Yeah, it's 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 a um, essentially essentially an unpredictable pro drug. Yeah, you can talk about transfection and everything all you want, but once everyone realizes, holy cow, their their amount, they're never going to be able to regulate how much they produce. It will never be used. And and don't I, 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 the... I don't want to be a, a, a luddite in in this respect because you know maybe in it, twenty years they can refine the technologies and it it may be great for I, I don't know what was a good example I saw the other day um, cystic fibrosis right so you know maybe that they can um, give you a sort of ventolin like inhaler and um, put in. Anything that they think they can do for you, they can make outside your body and give it to you. Mm, yeah, I mean, but you could argue that that's what they're doing in this particular instance. And which is what they're doing. Mm. So but, if you're going to think, if, if you're going to, you're, they're, you know, this is the thing about science. If you can't do a thought experiment, you waste your time. You have to be able to do thought experiments so you don't waste your time. Like, for example, I'm 100% sure that an eye transplant will never occur in a million years. Now, how can I say that? The, op the eye is connected to your brain via the optic nerve, which is about one millimeter in diameter, has 1.2 million fibers. And in order to do an eye transplant, I have to cut it, that one millimeter optic nerve I have to cut. And the donor I have to cut and reattach it. I have to reattach 1.1 million, 1.2 million fibers in a small space in 30 minutes. And I can't just connect it. It's like a telephone cable you connect, you smash it together, no one's gonna get a phone call. It has to be in perfect orientation for it to work. 1.2 million fibers, perfectly oriented and reattached in 30 minutes. I'll give them two hours, cell death, tissues die. That's why I know I'm 100% certain. You see, if you don't know the impossible obstacles in science, you're not going to improve and you're going to waste your time. There are certain things that can never be overcome. And the fact that we keep, you know, there are pillars that we can't overcome and science wraps around it, doesn't overcome it, keeps moving out, extends. And people think it's amazing. Things that can't be done will never be done. So an eye transplant will never be done. Well, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say. I would would never say. That. Never say never. Is that, is that I mean, exactly? But I, I. This is why I know I can say it, because I've been through the thought process and I've done the experiments in my head. So you know, so I can, you I can give. You, I can give you a um, a good example. So um, I, I would. 
uh, I would help out with um, spinal cord um, transection recovery, right? And um, that's a very gross signal to one muscle. A little different. Yeah, but that, but let me um, sure. uh, finish. So um, you, you could uh, so we have peptide factors and growth factors that we would sort of put in with a, a sort of osmotic pump and the we could get a, a degree of it wasn't perfect um but there's there's definitely there, there are definitely ways to help help the body in a situation provided you get in early enough Right. So look, if, if we transect the spinal cord and wait a week, nothing, th 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 so anything, right. yes, anything that we put in. So definitely fine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it just wouldn't wouldn't mm -hmm. wouldn't work. But um, make make the transaction and get in there within a sort of critical window. And you know, this is still very sort of early research. And the um, these fibers would begin to reconnect and um, begin to and even if they reconnect wrong if it's if it's innervation to your you know thigh muscle if they're innervated incorrectly it will still cause a basic thigh muscle to contract mm. which is why it can work but you see vision it's 1.2 million fibers if if you only have a thousand data points it will never work you'll get snow on the tv screen yeah, I mean, you get ten thousand. You ten thousand, ten thousand correctly, ten thousand perfectly correctly connected won't work. Yeah, the so eye, see, the eye is 10, an exquisite um, right. system. But, but what I'm saying is, thought is too. So what I'm saying is, what you're describing as healing to me, I understand what's happening. It's not healing as in, like, if you're going for an eye transplant, you don't want it to be just as good as your old eye or similar or 80% function, you won't get that. That's what I'm saying will be impossible in a million years. But if, uh, just as, as a eye uh, specialist, you know, there are prosthetic devices that are, you know, so I used to, I, my sort of speciality was uh, deep brain stimulation and um, sort of getting devices into the brain to sort of modulate disease states um of course th these aren't cures per se but this this was about sort of suppressing um or, or modulating the the disease state such that the symptoms were not so uh debilitating um if some something like vision where if you had someone who was sort of functionally blind and you're able to run a you know, let's let's say a multi-electrode implant into the visual cortex, that. yeah, and mm -hmm. you can you can give someone the sense of edge and um, you know a, a little bit of depth perception, and you're able to do that. Um, that's that's a that's a significant improvement over nothing, right? So I, well, I'm... you know, I mean, that's interesting because I did my fellowship at USC Doheny, and mm. and when I was there at the time, um, 
and there's no one there who who is going to get mad at me now because um, <laughs> it's been too long. But they they did this to a a blind musician, mm-hmm. and they implanted a, a little chip in in. I just said, oh my God, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And they're just going to, he's going to be mad. And of course it didn't work because there was a hundred data points in that chip. Mm-hmm. 10,000 will not work. I mean, it, it, 10,000 will give you shades of gray, maybe. I mean, it won't be much different than what you, the, the snow you see on TV and maybe a shadow. Yeah, the, the, so, the question becomes virtually impossible to do. This is, you know, so modern neuroscience approaches is about where in the um, the network, primary, tertiary, secondary, tertiary networks that you can you can input the information to be able to say, here's here's some data points. Can you can you extract? something from it and you know um there are technologies coming online with you know thousands and thousands of contacts and to be able to sort of uh stimulate and you know just look at elon musk's uh um this is you know i've i've worked over 20 years um you know, implanting this stuff into the brain. And, you know, I've seen spectacular results instantly. See, this is science. This is science. I I keep, people don't quite understand what science is. And I say, look, if you understand science, you know there are diminishing returns on everything. Mm -hmm. You know, we have Prilosec, which when I was in medical school, it was could only be written by a GI doctor mm. and it cost thousands of dollars. Now it's like three cents a pill. Nah. And the human animal did not change in 30 years. When it was effective then, it's effective today. And now next time everything else that's, that's come out after that, what I'm saying is diminishing returns because you can spend $100 million on trying to find an improved acid reducer and you might get something a 1% worse than what we have right now. And that is diminishing returns just because we've made progress does not mean we keep making progress at the same rate. It flat lines because a human animal hasn't changed in the past. Okay. We do change, but it's incremental over thousands of years. So then our science caught up with our evolution genetics and we're not going to find a food that tastes better than In-N-Out burgers in 10,000 years. You see, if, if science doesn't get a grip on this and grasp this concept of diminishing returns, they're going to kill us all. Yeah. Because now the, the known universe is 14 billion or whatever it is. And they're trying to put up all sorts of things to even find further and further and further. Well, we can't because there's a limitation to light how fast light moves. See, over and over again, science has this problem of not wanting, it's the, just like Galileo, when he said, oh, the earth isn't the center. They went crazy mad. Science, it's forever flaw is thinking that humans are at the center. 
Yeah, this, this gets into very, you know, we talk about this a lot on my channel, which is, um, you know, where where are they going with these technologies? And um, Diminishing you know, returns explains it all right now. So, you know, a, a good example is the technology that I was working with, which worked for Parkinson's disease. And, and it, it, it became, it's become the gold standard um, for treating it. And, but then they were like well you know what now and you know that's exactly and basically what they've what they what they so you done. you you were doing research at the perfect time right when everything was on an upslope me too right mm. will it stay that way no it can't so here's, here's what i think is is going to happen so um pharmaceutical giants whatever you whatever those horrible entities are have realized that there's a limited window they've look they've simulated and made most molecules already and they they have an idea of where, where they're going to be functional and what have you and they've got those libraries and um they'll bring it forward if they have to to get the 20-year patent that allows them the uh, the exclusive rights. I think what I think what's coming is um, them trying to aim for personalized genetic medicines where they don't have to worry about the patent because you're the patent, right? So they have to they they, they don't have to worry about saying or it's they can because you're unique and your genome is going to differ slightly to the next person that they tailor to you and thus can maintain the uh, the profit margin as they go forward and i think a lot of what we've seen in the last three three years is them again smashing the old model and and trying to build public acceptance to these gene transfection technologies as a way to um say oh we can um we can treat this this disorder now via um, you know our wonder our wonder um, RNA DNA technologies and um, and look I, maybe that's true maybe that's true what 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 I have a problem with personally is the way that they've forced this at a, a, a metaphorical gunpoint on individuals uh, or uh, um, populations and done it in such a surreptitious manner and coupling it with a um, very, very dystopian-looking surveillance state where they, they want to keep grabbing more and more real-time physiological data to start mapping onto their you know, big data genomic analysis. And... I, I think you said that really well. And I, I worry about that too. Mm. I just don't, you know, I mean, being in medicine, the simplest example is we're all at fault for this. And it, I'm not casting more judgment on anyone. But I went to Indonesia once to do something to make a little project I was working on and peanuts and all the food. Not a single kid with a peanut allergy in Indonesia. Here in the States, you can't have a, you know, a classroom where there's at least one kid with a severe peanut allergy. So we had EpiPens, 
we kept them alive. And I'm not saying they're sh they should die. I'm saying we kept them alive. And then they had children, you know, higher check. Now there's more and more, and you, you, you wait. And in 200 years, we could have 50% of the classroom, 100%, 50 to 100% needing an EpiPen to survive. So see, this is, the, this is what I feel about health. Health, the more that is contained within the male and female of the species, the more that's contained within the male and female without needing extra things aside from food and water and shelter, the more that's contained within the male and female, the healthier. And EpiPens aren't contained with us. And an EpiPen manufacturer with that, you know, Elon Musk wants to go to Mars. Do you think we'll have all these other things? In order, the more that's contained within the male and female without something else on top of it, the more healthy we are. Everyone has a different definition of what health is. Sam Harris says the least pain for the most people. I completely disagree with that. Oh, I can't say that, man. I hate to pretend oh. you're a scientist. And, uh... <laughs> I agree with you. I mean, you, you do real science. He, mm. he doesn't. No. And then, of course, I had to be bashed on him on Twitter, and he mm. blocked me, and then three days later, he, he just deleted his Twitter account. Yeah, because he, he, was, he, he was making so many statements on the vaccine, and he doesn't even know medicine, right? mm, mm. mm. And, you know, I mean, I'm a surgeon. I've done 80,000 surgeries. Um, you know, I, I haven't had a LASIK lawsuit against me since my fellowship in 80,000 cases. I tried <laughs> to do the right Touch thing. Touch wood, bro. <laughs> I always do. Don't tempt the face. And, you know, and you see, Sam Harris has no idea about medicine. No. And he's talking about health. And he doesn't, he, he never, he doesn't understand the body. He doesn't understand biochemistry. He doesn't understand... I love biochemistry so much in medical school at Michigan. I made 100% on my final. No one does that. I mean, I, I memorized the Krebs cycle. I could draw out all the molecules. I loved it. And of course, I didn't feel that way about gross anatomy because it's just big structures everywhere. And the small things is where it's interesting. So Sam Harris doesn't have an understanding of what health is when he says the least pain for the most people. No, because what happens when you do that? Whatever you think you did, the next generation suffers more. So, yes, it's good to be good to humans, and I want that more than anyone else. But you have to think about humans at least 10 generations down. And that's the way you think of health. And if, you know, there's that little picture of an infant with 200 needles on it. Oh, God. We don't, <laughs> we don't want to evolve, having to evolve. and be. If an infant can take that and still survive... Okay, yeah, it's very possible. We do. But there's going to be weird repercussions down the road that we will never understand and know, and it won't be good. So that's why I say, you know, health, the modern medical system is corrupt. It's bad. And it doesn't allow us to realize that we need some pain and suffering. We didn't get here from... You know, I mean, whether you believe in evolution or not, from a primordial cell to this point in a billion years of evolution, we didn't get here without pain and suffering at every generation. Now, for three generations, five generations, we don't want pain and suffering. There's, there are consequences down the road for that kind of behavior. And we can't just assume, oh, it's all good. No, it's not all good. So, you know, when Fauci wants to stick everybody and make his money, when they say money is the root of all evil, 
It, it literally yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I hear is happening in China, and I'm not racist Chinese. I love all people. I hate mostly. But you're, you're Korean though, right? So uh, I, I lived. I, I, yeah, I lived in Daegu. Uh, I had a lab in you Daegu. Know, Koreans are pretty. They're pretty racist people, you know that. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, but I love. I love a bit of casual racism and misogyny. Make I think it makes life uh, more interesting and funny. And, 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 uh, and, and you know, Japan is like that too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know God bless them. About, you know what I what I don't like about America right now. <laughs> the American white American man is about the least racist person on earth, <laughs> and they get beat up the most. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Just... And you know, you shut up the white man, and you have problems, right? Mm. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't like what's happening in America. But mm. you see, free speech is critical, and the white man being able to freely, freely speak is critical too. Mm. And if words are a little bit hurtful, oh wait, let's call it, learn how to deal with it because you know what? Little words, okay, it might mean something, but actions injecting shit into children infinitely worse. Yeah. So if you're not going to yeah. learn to put up with little mean words, you're going to end up injecting shit into children mm. so you gotta put up with the mean words i remember i was on linkedin you know because i started to stay professional this whole time i was just emailing people and i finally got to linkedin i'm like i gotta start getting out a little bit three months and they shut me down maybe two months it wasn't very long and it was because they said i was bullying somebody and i'm like um so some guy attacks me and makes fun of me because i'm an anti-vaxxer and then after me politely asking questions and the back and forth, he realizes that he's the idiot. And then I make fun of him. And now I'm bullying him when he started with the see, bullying can only be done when you're clearly superior. If I'm a little kid and I'm bullying this big guy, no one thinks that's bullying. Okay. So it's usually a bigger guy dominating, being a little mean to a littler guy. Well, this guy thought he was clearly intellectually superior to me. And he makes fun of me, and then I'm very nice about it, and back and forth, and then he realizes that he doesn't know shit, and I know a lot more, and that he's the idiot. And now I'm bullying him. See, words, okay, anyway, bullying, bullying thing, the meanness on the internet, you got to get over that shit because yeah. we're adults. We're all adults. If you don't like it, leave, and then you won't be bothered. But if you want to have the last word, and you don't want the other guy to say the last word, hey, you're staying in. And you might get, you know, hear some words that you don't want to hear. But we're adults. There's no freaking such thing as bullying with words when you're adults. No one wants kids, children to be bullied. But, you know, if we're so worried about words, what ends up happening is we do actions that are infinitely worse than mean words. And the actions are injecting shit into children. Because everyone's so worried about words, no one speaks up. The children get injected with shit. So you got to put up with mean words. So... Yeah, I, mean, yeah, yeah. I try to educate Americans. Asians are so racist. Chinese are racist. Are racist. <laughs> Japanese are racist. All these people are so racist. Mm. And that's the human condition to be afraid of something that's a little different from you. The yeah, ingrained and preference thing. It's, a, it's, right, it's evolutionarily a, a, it a, a advantageous <laughs> behavior. And it it, it to, to have it weaponized in, in the way that it has been done you know it, it's really accelerated in the last uh 10 years i would say as as i think the, as the democrats the words all controlling the words it's a, it's a democrat thing I, I would i would go even higher than that um democrats are too stupid 
um, there's a there's a um, well there, there's there's a corporate government convergence that's happening, and the and look, I'm I'm of the opinion that we should be um, treasuring our sort of civil institutions, and and we should be doing everything that we can to stop the infiltration from corporations into these public-private partnerships and having corporate ideals infiltrate down into um, into institutes that were sort of bound by the, the, the laws of the land, right? So common law, constitutional law, etc. And what, what happens is, is that the corporate thinking... I know how to do that. You know how to do that? Do you have any idea? Burn it down. That's why I say that works. <laughs> but then, yeah, go ahead. Then, I'm, I'm interested to hear what you. Well, I mean, everything that you just said, I completely agree with. And you got to stop it. And the best way to stop it is cap on assets for all public officials for, for forever, for life. Yep. Yep. Okay. Uh, cap on assets. The moment you, I don't care what the number is, pick a number, 10 million, whatever. If you put a cap on their assets for life, they can't be bought. Now, okay, Obama didn't have 10 million when he started, right? Cap on asset. Guess what happens? He can't be bought. Okay, you can be you can buy him a little bit. And then it's over. So then then knowing this, you won't attract bad people to public positions, leadership positions. Because there's a cap on assets. Now I'm not saying we should do this across the board, but imagine if you did that. Yeah, I did. you wouldn't yeah. have the rife corruption. Now but, the people have to vote. You know the Wall Street movement in America. I'm like you guys don't even have a message. You don't know what you're trying to do. You have to know what you want, and you have to have a solution that's going to work. Cap on assets does it. Yeah, um, that's that's. Of course, it's hard to do, and they'll never get to go for it. Yeah, yeah okay. that. <laughs> that's why we see how... burn it down first. <laughs> burn it down first, and then rebuild with a cap yeah. on assets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it, it, you know, there's a, I, I, I don't know. Uh, so, I one of the, one of the problems that I've been trying to think about is how to sort of um, stop the same thing happening in academia, right? Such such that people uh, have not uh, are not afraid to speak out when the you know there's becoming such a disconnect between what they're pushing out of the public and and what experts should understand to be the real sort of basic science and um, I'm I'm at the opinion I think there has to be a complete separation between you know private and public. Mm. If you're in public, you can't later go private. Mm. Yeah, because that's what you know. It's it's all that back and forth. That's the the corruption starts all that because there's too many connections, too many personal ties, and oh, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Mm -mm. And if you have a public position, you later expect to be a private consultant in you know one of these big big farm companies. If you're a big farmer for a long time, you get a public. It's just it's it's a back and forth. And you know, I slowly start realizing, holy cow, because you know when Biden got COVID. I'm like, I don't like the man, but I know that fasting is a cure and it drastically decreases the chance of morbidity and mortality after, after COVID. So School of Public Health at Brown 
half the physicians and faculty I emailed my what 12 page, eight, seven page information that describes the issues and how fasting might be very useful. What's the, what's the harm in fasting for a couple of days? This is a school of public health at Brown University. Not one response, except for the automated ones where I'm out of town. Uh, yeah, yeah, we should. Not one person. Now, public health, you would think, oh, they would be all over this. Not one person responded. See, because that's a feeder school to me in my mind. I don't know for sure, but I think that's a feeder school for all these institutions, all the FDA, CDC, NIH. They have feeder schools. There's a path to get on to get into these jobs. Now, once you're at the CDC, NIH, FDA, then you can get a private consultation job at, what, at Big Pharma. Mm -hmm. It's all that you just got to separate it out. Yeah. If you're on one path, you stay there and you don't go private. If you're private, you don't go public. I mean, I don't know the whole complete answer, <laughs> but I know that, wow, every one of them knew exactly what to say to me. I mean, the moment they sense that I'm anti-something, they, they realize real quick which side I'm on pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, and then they tailor all their discussions with me in that way to support their message. So, well, this is how they've managed to um, I mean, there were a couple of decent ones. I thought, okay, I have a chance with this one. One CD epidemiologist at the CDC, she listened to me very politely for 20, 30 minutes. She actually emailed me back. I said, make sure you email me so I know that you're serious about this. She emailed me. I sent her the information. She acknowledged receipt. I'm like, Okay, there you go. But those are so, and, and there, there were a couple at the FDA. But they're young, right? And of course, I always start my message very polite. And then the moment they start realizing, oh my God, this is bad for us, then they just stop, stop, stop communicating, ignoring me. And then I have to amp up my language. And I say, look, think about it. Just, just one FDA scientist that explained how the antibody enters the lung airspace. Oh, shut up. Just sit. Send me one article. I'll shut up. But they won't. And I'm like, then you should have a warning label on every vaccine that says, we the FDA, not a single scientist, understands how the antibody enters the lung airspace, but we still think you should vaccinate your children. What mother would ever vaccinate their children then? It's just like, there's a couple of things that in my mind would fix things. Transparency is huge. Transparency is huge. You just have to have it. You know, not a Freedom of Information Act where I get your emails a year later. Transparency is huge because then they would be embarrassed because if people saw the letters that I sent the FDA commissioner, the chief counsel, the chief legal counsel, I'm like, your children are going to be embarrassed. Like, they're gonna, you're not going to have a job. When this story breaks, never realize, oh, you guys were putting this on us and you don't even know how the antibody enters along. And even if Dr. Lee's not right, well, he's sent you 73 pages explained all this. He even explained to you why he thinks you got good data and what you should do about it. And any scientist who reads it would think, oh, this guy's being fair. You got to do what he says. Because when, you know, they did the study, the COVID vaccine was given to 20,000 people. 10 people got COVID. The placebo was given to 20,200 people got infected. I said, it worked. I don't disagree with you. You got good data for the first whatever. But let me explain to you why it worked, because I know the antibody doesn't enter the lung. Let me explain why I think it worked. The side effect of the vaccine is muscle aches, because it tricks your body into forming chemokines. Chemokines include interferon. If the side effect was a reason why your vaccine worked, it's a medicine. And the way we can check, check that out is compare it to the flu vaccine. 
which doesn't produce a covert neutralizing antibody, but it gives you muscle aches, and it tricks your body into producing chemokines, including interferon. If the flu vaccine also works against COVID, then the chance of me being all right is infinitely higher than you. Now, I, I want to say, I'm stretching my memory back here, but um, one of the one of the studies did did use um, an, another act, not saline, but another another vaccine. And I'm trying to. I have, I have okay, to, so this is what I'm, this is. Let me explain it this way: the mRNA is dead cell parts. Evolutionarily speaking, when a cell dies and it releases its innards, other cells freak out. Because if they freak out, that means the chance of the organism surviving is higher. No cell wants to see dead cell parts everywhere. RNA is dead cell parts. And it's like a cop apocalypse now. Cells don't like it. They just start releasing all their enzymes. Okay, so you give mRNA. Cells freak out, release interferon. The mRNA becomes COVID antigen. Cells freak out and produce chemokines again. You get the booster four times, you trick your body into stimulating chemokines. So if you want to compare it to the flu vaccine, do four of those. Because yeah. remember MRA, the uh, Moderna and Pfizer worked really well? Okay, and then that was four stimulations each. You go back down to AstraZeneca, only two shots, 80% effective. You go to J&J, one shot, one time stimulation, you got 50%. It, it was a straight line, correlating to how much you tricked your body into freaking out and producing chemokines. Your body did it by producing interferon and other and, uh, chemokines that were antiviral. Interferon is antiviral. And why wouldn't you control for that? So if that was as simple as it was, the reason why it worked. So anyone who looks at my paper, 73 pages explaining this, like, you have to do that. There's no other option for you. And then you you know a lot less about your antibody than you ever vaccine than you ever thought. You have to do this, but they wanted to make money, right? Well, yeah, I think it goes a bit beyond money, but yeah, that was part of it. Okay, so you see how the transparency would have taken care of a lot of this. Mm. Transparency, you have to have transparency, and then you can't have somebody run the NIH director of infectious disease for forty years. You know, I mean, how corrupt is that going to get? Yeah, I know. Uh, and look, um, he basically had a dual position. Um, after 9-11, they sort of wrapped up uh, DOD because they were worried about anthrax and, you know, bioterror, and et cetera. So basically, he was getting double salaried and... Um, Doubled up everywhere. Yeah. Um, and you, you think, I don't think that he's getting paid in many other different ways, his relatives, his friends, all the sweetheart deals. Oh, there's... You yeah, track gross. that man down and see how much money he has. Yes, infinitely more than we think he has. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I'm allowed to have my belief, and that's what I think. Mm, yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And um, you know, it's like I say, I I have the I've I've tried to think about how to sort of rescue academia, and um, because it's failed, right? It's it's imploded as it is at the moment. <clears throat> and you, you've heard of the replication crisis? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, we had, we have uh, well, actually, um, I, I, you know, that that requires a degree of nuance of thought. So, re replication crisis is it's a problem where you have small clinical trials for, you know, wonder drug from Pfizer, and you know that. No, 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 that wasn't the replication crisis. Half the published data and research couldn't be replicated. 
Yeah, on about the Ionidus study. Art sciences, physics, chemistry, biological sciences, psychology, psychiatry, they compared everything. And it was worse than the software sciences, but it was an issue even in the harder sciences like chemistry and physics. I mean, look at physics. They talk about fusion. This is how silly it gets. Oh, the amount of energy going in is less than the amount of energy coming out. What does that mean? That it works. And they won't include the energy to run the magnet. Isn't that part of the energy going in? But that's not actually the energy. It's always on to know. The amount of energy they put in, the amount of energy they come out. What about the energy to run the freaking magnet? They don't count that. See, this is how stupid scientists are right now. And, you know, I know this because physicists called other physicists out. <laughs> I don't know it because I don't know it because I'm a physicist, but this is the issue with science right now. Only positive data gets funded. Yeah, and so in my domain was the, um, rather than replication, it's the translation, right? So you could get something that seems spectacular in a culture dish, then you go to a rodent, yeah, seems great still, get to the monkey, and then usually the monkey is a good sort of stopgap. Um, a lot of I've seen a lot of things die against when you're of course. trying to yeah. test with with monkeys. And even if you even if you get it past the monkey, then you've still got to get it into into humans. And the uh, the well, in a way, what they've done by bringing in this system that they've done, which is to say, well, we 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 accept that the platform works by putting in signaling or, or peptide inducing molecules and it's now it's safe right they say um and so the, the fundamental theory of the platform in their mind is is safe and so they think that they can go through without the requisite testing right now and now now we've put ourselves into this dangerous spot where they're going to make this jump to this um tailored individual medicine no need to test it in monkeys no need no need to have uh clinical trials um even small ones the platform works we can just uh they can rush ahead and um yeah it's uh, i i didn't think that they would this is how stupid science is right now. You, mm. you talked about mucosal secretions and finding antibodies, right? Mm. Mm. But let's call it bronchial, bronchial alveolar lavage, where they find antibodies in the lung. Now, you and I both know the lung is dry. If I put 10 grams on the table, 10 grams of salt, you can't tell me the concentration, can you? The, so how did, how did they get the concentration of antibodies in a dry lung? that almost always seem to match serum values. You see the stupidity of science today? Now, the New England Journal of Medicine chief editor, I, I got to him and I was trying to leave comments because every paper had this COVID antibody issue. And I'm, I submitted a comment and he's like, well, you missed a deadline. I'm like, uh, information this important and you're just going to tell me I missed a deadline. I said, apply to any other paper then because they're all about the COVID vaccine and antibodies. So we had this back and forth and he goes, well, I found, I found 
you know, 20 or 30 papers talk about bronchoalveolar lavage. I'm like, I have a thousand papers on blood-lung barrier. As a scientist, just a number of papers is enough. I mean, I have more papers than you. So who wins then? The stupidity of scientists today, and he's a chief editor of the New England Journal of Medicine. And I'm like, if you see gold on a table as a scientist, don't you want to ask, where did that come from? Aren't you interested? You're just like, no, it's there. And even how they determine the concentration, how did you do that? It's air. Please tell me how you found the concentration that so almost always matches blood values in these chimps that you're testing. It's just science is full of fraud in my mind. Yeah. Medical science is really bad. Yeah, very much so. And the, you know, my, my solution to dealing with this is you have to scrap the journal system, right? And the, they've just become, um, they're gamed anyway because you get these nepotistic networks that, you know. And then that, I find out that the chief editor, he's on these vaccine committees. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it just, I was really unhappy when I found out. Like, they're, they're everywhere. And the, um, the, way, the way to do it in my mind, you scrap the journal system, right? And, and I, I'm of the opinion you know having spent my career in academia you would you would still get the um the autistic type i was to be uh, that would want to do research right um I, I, look i class myself like that i wasn't interested you would screen in everyone else out right I, I was just you would screen out a lot of people and you you make it sort of a more monastic type how it used to be right a more monastic type environment and basically, if it's an accredited institute, they just publish their data on their department website, and every and it's all open access. And then you let the and then you have comments underneath, and you can have up and down votes with respect to what what people think with respect to the. Uh, the research itself, and then, then I think you 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 would, in one stroke, remove the much of the corruption that sort of filled that that space as it stands at the moment. You know, you know what I think. Burn it. I think you should you should just close, <laughs> cut the budget by seventy percent. Yeah, just yeah, cut yeah. it. Yeah. Just cut it mm. because diminishing returns. Mm. The average person who needs uh, this or that. We have it, all right. So the, the, this diminishing returns issue is not just in medicine, it's everywhere, like, you know, China, the CCP, they built the canal river going uphill. How long do you think that can last? 100 years? We've got, what, a few billion years left of sun left on this earth, and you've got enough coal for 20, 40 years of that? Why would you do that? See, if you know, if you really respect humans and humanity, you have to understand that there's diminishing returns for everything. And when you understand that, you have to clamp down. You can't, I'm not completely anti-progress, but 70, 80% anti-progress. <laughs> well, it, 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 it's a case of trying to rein in the uh, worst avarice of the corporations who are looking to commodify everything and, yes. 
and they're yeah. they're yeah. looking to commodify every aspect of your behavior um, yeah. um and even even down to the sort of social control of you know that they'll punish you for your salty language on on twitter and look um i'm you know if i i'm i'm being um very constrained on a on this stream today but you know i'm i'm taking well, that's why i ranted and raged and cussed up a storm on twitter mm. because you know there was a night when i was just really upset and then i i was on elon's thread and i had this million dollar bet and i said you know republicans please don't comment here so my thing stays up high and then boom, I was gone for two hours. <laughs> I was blocked out of my account. And I think Eli must have read something because two hours later I was back up. And then he stopped, kept cussing up a storm and everything. And I stick no one, no one, you know, I'm not suspended anymore. And I just don't care because right now, whatever direction they think we're going, words mean something, but actions are infinitely worse. Oh, yeah. yeah. And if anyone, anyone who cares about humans and humanity, You've got to have a little bit of harshness. You've got to have a little bit of pain and suffering. You've got to have a little bit of meanness. If meanness in words is nothing compared to meanness in actions, gotta get out with the words before the actions occur. I, I just I'm I'm completely of the school of thought that the Democrats are ruining America. You know, I mean I have a whole thread on how I think Trump saved the world from the CCP. Because ultra, you know, CCP communists, some people in power, they had this idea of what they wanted for the world. And once the trade war, Trump started that trade war, the CCP wanted to control the world. They had all, the, you know, the String of Pearls, the Belt and Road Initiative. Mm -hmm. They're they buying out ports everywhere. They had this whole idea of how to route trade throughout all the way to Europe and back. Mm -hmm. And once it was all set up, this is what they're going to do. And we know this because Australia challenged the CCP and Xi Jinping punished them by saying, oh, you want to do that? Say that to me. Do you think we should check what happened in Wuhan, Australia? Okay, tariffs for you, 80% barley, wheat, coal, tariffs. And Australia went through the shit for two, three years. But what it taught the world was China still needed their coal. China needed Australian coal for their steel industry. It was the best coal they didn't have anymore. And then they had to shut down their steel industry. And then the rest of the world started realizing, oh, so you're going to weaponize trade, meaning if we don't do exactly what you say, you'll shut off trade for us. And then our country will die. Oh, my God, that's a little scary for a CCP to control the world with trade like that. Well, I don't, so I don't just think it's the CCP, though. I think this is the problem is this transnational groups that include elements of the CCP, but it includes a lot of... Uh, how should we say the the zero point zero zero one percent of the U.S. You know these people that have their you know they don't live in our world, right? They 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 don't mind gutting the the heartlands of the U.S. and Europe to to remove industries to chase you know uh, saving a penny know, on the dollar. i didn't realize how much harm clinton did because i remember in the 80s when i was in college i was in michigan and you know auto industry was dying wow it was just you know we opened up china to the world trade organization and the midwest suffered tremendously 
I, I just think, again, that's progress, that they thought it was progress. I have this idea of progress that everyone just hunkers down and just stays in their little area, you know, and the, you don't need all the latest iPhones and this and that, because the way that the world is running right now, you're using, everyone's using up too many resources. Just way too many resources. Well, I, that, that, that's, there's another little thing that I'm just, I'm, I'm, not, buy, I'm not buying into their... Um... How would you say their 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 green uh, agenda, where they're trying to sort of um, constrain individuals by by trying to say to them, well, it's it, I'll give you a concrete example of how how bad it's getting. So in in the UK, they've started. Hey, just let you know, I've got about ten minutes. Oh, okay. I mean, I can. Hopefully, you'll come back and chat again. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> um, the so in the UK they started something called fifteen minute cities, and the idea was that um, you were going to be you, you, you couldn't take your car outside of this uh, fifteen minute zone like more than a hundred days of the year, right? And and what they're trying to do is they're trying to limit people's freedom of movement. Um, people's ability to oh, just to act as sovereign citizens, and uh, it, all in the name of um, saving the planet's resources. Another example was in France; they um, they stopped internal flights from sort of city to city. Yet at the same time, they didn't stop private jets. So, in, in my opinion, what, we, what we're seeing is, or I, I, I use this argument, that um, 100 years ago, Bolshevism tried to use class as the, um, the, the dividing wedge in which to reshape um, society for a sort of global dominance and control. What what they've realized is is that that's in a sense that's too divisive and most people want to try to aspire to yeah, they want the the next model up of their the car whatever and um and they couldn't control the the, the <laughs> proletariat in that fashion but what they've cottoned on to is the fact that what do, what do what does everyone need or, or or require access to particularly in the in modern economies it's the medical system right and and through through the medicalization of everything through the weaponization of the idea around well the green agenda and this is this is why they tried to sort of push the idea that SARS was a zoonotic spillover it was oh we're encroaching too much on nature we've got to constrain everyone we're going to push everyone in back in, into smart cities and there there comes the 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 control mechanisms to hold people into place in 15 minute um zones and um and, and you will eat the bugs right well while these people eat uh, they continue to eat steak and um, fly around in their private jets, etc. And that's that's the world that they're aiming for. Again, asset cap, political leaders, it solves a lot of problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's virtually impossible to. Mm. But for the sake of humanity, you know, over thousands of years, if we ever last that long, mm. if they don't institute this, We'll never get rid of corruption. Mm. So you need 
cap on assets for public officials, leaders. You do that, and so much evil goes away. Well, and I, I would I would add on to that the um, to, to stop the offshoring of of industries. Oh yeah, that, and, you that, know, I know Britain did that, but yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's it's the banking system. That's Bank, why money yeah. is all evil. Money is the root of all evil because the banking system created that. So you know, mm. wealthy individuals could just hide all their assets, right? Yep. Yeah, and, yeah. and now now we're going now we're going to pay the price, and I think I think we've got a very very small window in which to try to um, put put the brakes on it. And my concern is that the way we've seen them act in the last three years means that they're they're ready. They were ready, right? Everything was poised to sort of spring the trap. They've put all their chips in, and now. Uh, and now we're sort of locked into the roller coaster, and who knows where where it ends up. And you know, hopefully, hopefully, someone manages to kill the power on on that roller coaster, and we're not we're not hanging upside down in the in the corkscrew as the, as the power sort of um, switches off. But um, yeah, um, um, it was a pleasure talking to you. I have to rush. Mm. Let's do it again. Jump, yeah, Yep. Thank you very much. I very much enjoyed being on here with you. Yep, Joseph, thank you very much. Uh, tweet it out because, you know, I've been heavily censored as well for trying to oh, do absolutely. this for, for, for two and a half years. I, I have to take YouTube yeah. down because they'll just zap this straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. th- there are other channels, Rumble, my own sort of... Um, yeah, send me the links and I'll just put everything up. I, I, I put it, uh, I think I did it in, the, in Twitter. Um, I just said... Uh, Okay, I'll check yeah, it out. I, I, I did. Yeah, just um, tweet that out and tell people Perfect. to come watch, watch the I will. conversation. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, thank you, Joseph. Uh, take care. Bye now. Bye-bye. All right, folks. Um, I will uh, just give me a couple of minutes, and I'll be back real, real quick. Um, I need to uh, get a drink. Um, running a little dry here. So two two minutes.
right, all right, all right, all right. So I need to put the uh, let's do this. The chat not working. Social stream ninja. What if I do this? Are we still streaming? Oh, we're off. Oh, YouTubers. No, we're still streaming. Uh, all right. So, um, hey, let me try and think about uh, what we can do. I'll I'll read some some comments and I'll give my uh oh the camera still. Give my thoughts. Okay, the chat popped up as well. Um, but, 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 let's just do this for the moment. Um, so, um, what's my sort of take on the uh, what, the discussion? Um, I I think uh, Dr. Lee um, needs to sort of, in my opinion, sort of get, get, up, get up to speed on perhaps some of the bigger issues around uh, um, the pandemic, the virus, etc. But uh, it, it's um, look, it's great that we've got um, professionals who are speaking up, and um, that I'm all for. Um, I, I'm going to sort of forgive um, uh, knowledge gaps, etc. Um, all people can't be all things. So the uh, the Did I, you know, look, once once you get into a discussion with someone, most most times most people turn out to be um, pretty reasonable. And, you know, <laughs> edgelord shit posting on the internet, I'm all for it because, you know, they've, they want to constrain your speech, folks. They want to constrain it. They want to shut you up and uh, make you feel, make white man feel guilty. And um, we don't want, uh, we don't want that. We want to be able to, uh, um, push back uh, consistently, methodically, and you know, n n if you're if you're in this space, um, you ain't getting on to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I don't watch TV, so I don't know a sort of equivalent of um, daytime. <laughs> daytime TV. You might you might make it onto uh, Infowars. <laughs> maybe, or uh, some of the other larger podcasts. But, you know, I'm I'm all for, <laughs> I'm all for, uh, let's say, a bit of uh, treating them a bit harsh, especially, especially those that won't think twice about shutting you up for ideological reasons. And uh, for that, I think uh, uh, Dr. Lee Joseph needs um, some uh, applause and um, we should uh, encourage him. And, you know, hopefully with uh, the dialogue, um, you know, we can we can bring him up to speed with some of the uh, the more uh, well contentious issues. And you know, his his approach is one of just looking at the vaccine itself and um there's nothing there's nothing wrong in that I, I i try to sort of do a more bigger picture type approach because you know i'm 
I don't know, <laughs> unhealthy obsession with the culture war. It's just that, you know, I've I've been in it for a long, long time. And, you know, I got a... For, for all of you were uh, nothing but a twinkle in your daddy's eye uh, was uh, subject to the exactly the type of mechanisms that are being rolled out right now. And... I, I don't want my kids growing up in that world. So um, I'll read some comments and then, you know, there's a, there's a few things I can present. It's still early in the day. Um, the kids have not got to school. So <laughs> everyone's having a day off. Um, what can I say? Uh, the McCann family are uh, a <laughs> family of leisure. <laughs> So, uh, keep Doc McCann in leisure. Uh, send uh, send Christmas gifts our way. Let me just see if anyone's uh, sent a dono today. Uh, maybe I can get a chance to unleash on the soundboard. And uh, let's see. Yeah, oh, wait for it. The Jew. As far as I'm concerned, that's it. You're all tight. Um, all right. Let's go back. I don't know. I don't know how far back this is in the com conversation. Uh, he says being in a cubicle is no substitution for interaction with a professor who can answer questions and give you resources. What a shame. Uh, I agree. It's called the revolving door. Uh, institutional capture. I agree. Uh, I was bored in school, including college, so I caused trouble for fun. Um, yes, I I was very much uh, in that. <laughs> uh, mind mindset. I didn't like school. I just wanted to be out running around kicking a football. <laughs> school, school was for girls and faggots. So uh, <laughs> fasting has been touted for many reasons and health issues. Yeah, look, um, it's not a new idea. <laughs> most most sort of religious constructs have this idea of fasting you're not supposed to be gorging yourself on cream puffs and um I don't know, what did i have for breakfast today um slice of bread and butter that's what i had for breakfast but oh excuse me um you know we've uh we, we live in a uh a, a sea of abundance and uh, in a way in a way, it's kind of like an inverse uh, famine, right? They'll have you gorge yourself to death. I uh, see. Waterboarding might help, says the real Klaus Schwab. Um, I'm not sure uh, who needs to be waterboarded, but uh, <laughs> I'm, not a, I'm not a big fan of uh, enhanced interrogation techniques. Um, I, I look, sodium pentothal, it's far, far easier. Uh, see, Madre says Dr. Joe for Surgeon General. Um, there's a testament I could get behind, or sentiment I could get behind, sorry. Um, let's see, fasting leads to autophagy, clearing of cellular debris, eat fast, live longer. Um, yep, uh, I don't have any any problems with uh, fasting. Um, but, you know, I am... Um, it, it's like keto. I'll, I'll do keto for four or five months of the year. I, 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 I honestly believe you're not supposed to be doing it all the time. 
I, I really don't. I'm, I'm not. It's just as bad as going in the other direction. I do. Uh, we're omnivores. Uh, um, our dentition shows that. Uh, let's see. Nancy says, I always got good grades in school, but I had to work for them. Always if my people could just see the work and know it automatically. Yeah, those bastards make me sick. <laughs> Uh, let's see Jason says awesome uh, oh, if you thought it was awesome please uh, mccairndojo.com uh, there's the links uh, please become a Patreon um, I've lost a bunch of Patreons in the last uh, month or so um, I'm presuming because of I took a break for a few weeks but um, please uh, sign up go to the tip jar uh, we talk you listen.com that's the best way to get uh, money to me it's not it's all stripe powered um, I don't see any of your payment details and uh, you can uh, keep the dot keep the uh, keep the lights on in the dojo uh, uh, of course stream facts gay pal uh, if you've got a PayPal account um, you can use that link and uh, that'll take you to buy PayPal buy me a coffee and ding, and uh, of course, uh, subscribe star, uh, and digital tulips, um, for if they're going to maintain value, um, please, please, please send them my way. Uh, Johnny says, just dropped a little something in the tip chart. You did, oh, Johnny, you're such a sweetheart. Um, uh, thank you. Um, Yes, there it is. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. That makes uh, it eases the makes getting out the bed. <laughs> I didn't get to bed till late either. Last night, you know what? I, you know what I did last night? I was like, I, I have an early night, and I, I sat down at the computer and just started watching some dudes uh, retro. I don't know. He was getting all these retro gadgets, and was just sort of reviewing them and seeing if they work everything it was uh compelling viewing what can i say that's uh that's what kev does in his spare time um uh, all right let's uh let's do this um china is a house of cards i saw it in there uh, i'm not so sure um do, 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 do. tesla kicked butt too much though um yeah look <laughs> I'm I'm happy with what Elon Musk did with Twitter. I'm happy that my account got res restored. Um the the banning of uh linking to other social media platforms. Eh, um <laughs> I, I'm not sure I'm down with that, but it is what it is, I guess. Uh, let's see. I'm sure Soros and Fauci got the sailing shots. Yes, maybe. Let me keep an eye on Rumble Chat. Um, let's see. Little Prince Faithfree says, Dr. Joseph Lee is 100% knowledgeable on the money. Uh, the most honest and knowledgeable speaker Kevin had. Um, no, I've had, I've had uh, lots of... Um, Lots of honest speakers. Um, I've got a how should we say? <laughs> I don't I don't tolerate uh, grifters that well, and um, you know, <laughs> you know, like the Baileys, for example. <laughs> well, I won't countenance it. Sorry, they're cancer as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> 
Let's see, Jason says, I think many of these medical conversations assume most people are still willing to get newer vaccines. Most people I know won't even get the flu shot anymore. Yeah, I think they might have shot their bolt a little bit in that respect. Um, what does that mean? The Potentially, the that they could try for the environmental push but i don't think a lot of people are buying that and the problem is what's left on the table uh starvation <laughs> and war <laughs> and um hopefully we can uh stop them before we get to that uh, uh, Jig says, oh, Commander Jig's in the chat. Uh, the wolves are guarding the sheep. Um, if, you, if we're talking about the uh, weft types, then yes, very much so. Uh, let's see. Tazik's Cube says, accepting a jab right now is like plugging a hacker's thumb drive into your laptop. No questions asked. Y yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and I, I think a lot of what they were doing is the um, well breaking the old system and I, you know there's a, a lot of the data that would indicate that perhaps they were hoping to induce uh, lots of chronic disorders going into the future now how successful they've been in that remains to be seen but there's you know the shahids keep mounting up uh, let's see, very much based in common sense. Uh, I agree. Dr. Lee, don't give a fuck about anyone's feelings. Legit. Yeah, look, I, I, I like that. Straight talking um, and you know, on my wavelength. Um, you know, again, I would, you know, I had, I had some uh, papers that I would, um, would, would bring up. Uh, but, but, simple fact is that and this is this is where i think he needs to sort of tread a little carefully and have um his uh, and i get it he's tuning for a sort of mass audience but um he he, he needs to be ready for the uh, onslaught of uh, the um, mutton retards uh, who will come at him and say <laughs> there is look there is there is IgG secreted in the mucosal uh layer of the lung. Um da, da, da. I'm sure it's more involved than the CCP. Yes, yeah, it is. Um I can't remember what I was watching the other day. Someone put someone put a link to it in the Discord and this this guy was super super interesting and he basically summed it up as we, we've had a coup d'etat at a global level and this is a how would you say uh, um it's 21st century bolshevism as i keep trying to reiterate um your solution is to get back to a form of wholesome nationalism um <laughs> give the middle finger to the globalists and uh tell them tell them to sling their rook we ain't having it round here uh, nancy says buy kevin a coffee yes buy dot kev a coffee um my, i was getting really dry mouth during that interview <laughs> i just uh, i've managed to sort of uh shove down one cup of tea uh prior to trying to set everything up so 
Um, yeah, more coffee. Bye. More tea for the doc. Uh, DJ says we kind of tried that against Russia now. Um, yeah, look, I think a lot of what happened with Russia is um, Project Pandemic maybe didn't go as well as they wanted. And so yeah, my, my concern is the push towards war and destabilization, breakdown of supply chains and starving people and freezing them to death in the winter. And what, you, you, you think it's just going to end this year? This winter, this is going to be the last winter. Oh, no, 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 no. Not this time. Not this fucking time. No, 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 not this fucking time. No fucking way, no fucking way, no fucking way, no fucking way. You made me look a right cunt. So, we end. It ain't stopping. It's not stopping. And, you know, um, Degraded immunity, uh, assaults on your physiology, and like I say, get people uh, a bit hungry and a bit cold, and you see how the uh, how the illnesses begin to uh, emerge and ravage people's systems. And uh, then then you tell me if you're uh, if you don't believe in uh, germs or not, as you're squealing out for access to basic antibiotics. Uh, AR says Club of Rome and WEF. Uh, yeah, what can I say? The Jew. Always, always comes through. Uh, Clash Rob says the banksters. The Jew. Always, always comes through. <laughs> Uh, let's see. I think CCP is much more independent than it seems in the Western world. Uh, look, um, we've enabled China to get like that just by simply offshoring all our tech and industry. Now, you know, have they reached self-sustainability? Has their Belt and Road Initiative gonna sort of insulate them from the naval powers that sort of dominated the last centuries maybe maybe um you know what i what i would like to see personally is a um less well that's <laughs> a complex question just uh, oh, oh do i want to see america Go, the, the, or, or the problem that I see with America right now is it, it, it's going around playing the great game and instigating um, instability in countries via the sort of neocon Wolfowitz type agenda. And, uh, you know, I, I think we could live in a much nicer world, a multipolar world where, you know, there's, there's respect for countries um between each other and look i get that you know you're going to need some sort of um big big <laughs> boy on the block that m maybe can sort of um step in when there's sort of smaller internecine type uh, warfare and struggles you know the balkan springs to mind um but you know the problem we have right now is uh, Amer America is um, it's 
moral and ethical standing has been degraded to the point uh, to the point of nothing right now and this this concerns me it 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 does and um you know the we need we need the united states um but a united states that isn't um isn't run isn't run by uh say special interest groups oh, i can't keep hitting that button <laughs> Um, yeah, can can we get them under control? <laughs> little mob, little mob groups. All right. Uh, all day it's been cold and foggy here. Yeah, it's, uh, winter's kicked here in Japan. Um, it's been like minus four, minus five of the evenings. Uh, let's see. But I, I, I don't mind the uh, cold weather. Uh, let's see. The CPC has elevated millions out of poverty. The Singapore system has zero homeless. Everyone gets a home, but you can't sell it. Is that true? I didn't know that. You can't sell homes in Singapore. I can't believe that. They must. They they have property that they sell. Uh, Elderberry is good for colds. Safe and effective. If anyone's got some um, good remedies for uh, verrucas, um, my youngest, who's uh, very finicky. Ida has helped like six or seven on his feet and um, I'm just uh, uh, it doesn't seem to bother him but um, you know I'd like to sort of get them under control maybe maybe just let them run their course I don't know uh, let's see everything is a public health crisis pandemics climate change gun violence food insecurity racism if you don't believe me google it <laughs> <laughs> say, uh, yeah, all all being uh, orchestrated by uh, agencies like Google, I would say. Uh, the Middle Ages look new again. Look, was the Middle Ages so bad? I mean, you know, you you did your uh, you did your bit on your uh, plot of land and uh, got your harvest in. You know, <laughs> you had far more free time. Uh, Spend time building up families, etc. Well, I imagine the uh, <laughs> the diseases and the fleas were uh, uh, <laughs> sucked by <laughs> the constant dysentery. But um, you know, there's there's good, there's good and bad and uh, everything. So. Uh, let's see. I says I lived in Singapore for a few years around the time they canned that caned that US kid. <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> Bit of discipline. <laughs> nail them up. That's why I say nail them up. Let's see. Strapped in without a seatbelt. Um, I don't know what that means. Uh, da, 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 da. They want us in perpetual panic mode and then use emergencies to control us. Yes, very much. The union says, cool, Doc. Cool. Um, okay. Uh, I, uh, would you recommend Singapore as a place to visit? Eh, Japan's better. Lisa says, I had a bit too much drink today, me. Um I would say, buy Doc Kev a drink, please, Lisa. Um, I, I can do with it. Um, <laughs> I spent the kids' Christmas money on uh, on legal legal fees to uh, make sure that you guys get uh, informed consent. 
<laughs> Let's see. Uh, I was there in 1982. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Just got to get vaxxed up even back then. Don't break the laws. Um, yeah, it, it just it just strikes me as a little authoritarian over there. Um, Japan is a nice balance of sort of um, Asian Asian culture and uh, not being not being such assholes. Uh, let's see. <laughs> yeah, don't break the law should kind of be a thing. Uh, but look, how how many of us uh, casually break the law? Speeding. Uh, I'm a recidivist when it comes to that. Um, not. Uh, I don't uh, engage in uh, what would be a um, <laughs> an enthusiastic psychedelics habit were I to live in the US at the moment. Your easy access over there right now is... Uh, I'm not sure that's going to play out. Well, it's uh, Yuval Harari's dream. Uh, give you video games and drugs. Shut you up. Uh, when in Rome or Iran, etc. Uh, yeah, or when in the Vatican, um, start diddling little kids, uh, I think is the, <laughs> the way it goes. Stop. Intermission. Yes. They caned him. Nowadays, Singapore and China do more business than more shit like the world should be. No one is homeless in Singapore. Yeah, very few homeless in Japan. There, I've seen a few. Um, can hear me, but no video. No video? Mm -mm -mm. Oh, yeah, you should be able to see me, right? Uh, YouTube chat is working. Yes, still streaming. Uh, imagine no homelessness. Um, yeah, you know, it, it It seems like it should be a problem that we could solve in this day and age, but they don't want to solve it, you know, particularly in the US where they're trying to break you. Let's see. Uh, most docs are normies. Yes, um, I agree. Pyramid7 says, I don't feel guilty. I don't either. I don't have any white guilt <laughs> at all. <laughs> my my life was one of struggle too. And uh, let's just say, like, living in um, many, many foreign countries, I've been subject to racism probably way more than your average blick in uh United States uh, or <laughs> anywhere else. I, look, it, it is what it is. And um, <laughs> develop a thicker skin. <laughs> When they when they kick you in the teeth legally, like they just did to me, <laughs> let's say Gaijin gets nothing in Japan. Um, you know, <laughs> you just got to suck it up. All right. Uh, let's see. Your account, Life Science for You, has been suspended for violating the Twitter rules. Um, so, suspending, evading permanent suspension. If you attempt to evade a permanent suspension by creating new accounts, okay. Uh, let's see. I've seen articles about other countries having better healthcare and communities with less crime, etc. Um, look, Japan is nice. Um, zero crime. Um, well, very little crime. Um, decent healthcare, not expensive. Um, you know, there's there's a way to do it, but it's you know what they have a relatively homogeneous society. Um, I realise that I am a guest in their country, and uh, I act as if that is the case. And look, even to the point that I gave, you know, 
one of my kids' names, we gave them a Japanese name as a as a middle name, and they use the Japanese name um, in their um, in their schooling, right? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm making effort to fit in. Where you know Hamilton Aki's turning up in the UK, and <laughs> everyone's called Mohammed. Um, you know, just uh, taking a piss a little bit, isn't it? Let's see, um, the Vax is a deal breaker for me. Yeah, me too. Um, and at WTYL.live, WTYL.live got suspended. <laughs> really? Uh... No, I don't think so. Not that I can see. What happens if I do that? Oh, it's been suspended. <laughs> um. Um. So you know that's that's the new twatter for you folks. Um, what can I say? Uh, buy Kevin a coffee. Uh, yes, please. They've just banned me off Twitter again. Boo hoo hoo. Um, <laughs> Jig says, the Jew stole his money or I toss in the griff can. Uh, that, that I can understand. Uh, Dunk the Funk meme was hilarious, by the way. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Uh, I can give you my account for posting. Uh, yeah, we'll do that. Uh, DJ says I'm eating my first meal, 7.30 p.m. Spam for when shit hits the fan. And dehydrated eggs, nice. Uh, let's see. Breakfast of professional champions, I agree. The best way to fast is to drink snake juice. It's a mix of salts. Look up a guy on YouTube cheating out fast with snake juice. Okay. Uh, did I miss any war porn? I came in a bit late. Um, no. I, I'll save that for uh, another stream. Uh, let's see. I love the stream from the other day with the virologist. I listened twice. It was excellent. Glad Nick could also drop in. Yeah, I'm hoping we can do more um in that respect and um the um we'll see, we'll see how the schedule um plays out uh have you read your messages yes i just did israel runs both political parties unfortunately yeah um but you know <laughs> look <laughs> you can spurg about Jews all day. Um, for me, they're just <laughs> just funny. They're they're a, a thing to take the piss out of. Who who wouldn't want to take the piss out of them? Let's see. Du, 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 du. They're also going to take out the internet at some point in the future. We'll use CME or something like it. We'll be going down for a few days long enough for them to erase as much as they can. Maybe. Um, sounds like something Majid Nawaz would say. Um, yeah, 21st century Bolsheviks. Yes, that's what you're dealing with. Um, let's see. I think we must survive about the next 10 years, at least of them trying to kill us. Yes. I keep trying to tell you that. You've got to get through this. Okay. Um, 
countering some type of uh, mass resistance, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> You'll get droned or taken out with uh, next-gen weaponry. Um, try, try to just get through the next uh, oh, 10 years and uh, see where we look then. And, you know, build build the community this way. Uh, help Doc there. Try to stay online. Uh, let's see. There have to be self-sustainability. The West should ask if we can exist without China. Um, yeah. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. How dare you, sir? <laughs> let's see. Uh, take the Zions out of the equation, problem solved. Uh, I, I wish it were that easy, Sven. Sorry, I, I don't... Um, it'll go a long way. Look, Armageddon fetishists of any stripe, I think, are problematic. I, re I really do. I think um, we should we should learn something from our uh, Eastern Eastern cousins. A uh, bit more, a uh, bit more Buddhist, meditative, mindful thought. Less um, less trying to believe in uh, prognostication and uh, prophecy. Uh, let's see. We've spread ourselves too thin without prioritizing our own country. I agree. Um, it's happened to all in the West. And like I say, much of this is aimed at breaking the West, uh, particularly the US. Um, let's see. Demonetize the Jew, remove interest in banking, reparations for Zionist damage. Yeah, look, um, I'm, I'm of the opinion that, um, look, give them, give them that, that little shitty piece of real estate on the Mediterranean, but um, take out their influence. Stop. Um, stop giving them special favoured status. Stop listening to them every time they cry about. Oh God, woe is me! Uh, <laughs> that's such a big. Like just, just you know, treat them like uh, you would anyone else. And yeah, that that would probably solve most of the problems. Uh, let's see, they don't want to bring eight billion people through a depression. They definitely want people buried six feet under and have less people when we get on the other side of the greatest depression ever. Um, Maybe. Maybe. Um, look, there was a um, video that I put in, you know, everyone's sort of talking about um, the national, uh, what's it called? Well, a, a, the American lab that did the fusion um, experiment, uh, national ignition lab or something like that i forget but um you know there's a there's a new uh new kid on the block with respect to that and you know maybe i'll just play that real real quick um do 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 this. Um, uh, what am I looking for? This. This. This is very, very interesting. Now, um, I'll play the sort of first few minutes. The images you are seeing right now have been a closely guarded secret for years. This is the first time footage of this technology has been shared publicly. 
a technology that has the potential to change the course of human history. A privilege Helion Energy granted us when we visited their facility. What I am sharing right now is going to be studied by nuclear physicists around the world, trying to reverse engineer the world-changing machine. This is Trenta, Helion's sixth-generation nuclear fusion generator. This fusion generator is unlike any other, using a completely novel approach to achieve nuclear fusion, adapting knowledge developed for ion propulsion in space. The generator forms two mirrored rings of plasma on either end of a reactor, and in a tenth of a thousandth of a second, they fire them at each other, sequentially activating powerful magnets to squeeze and compress the rings towards the center, where they collide, converting the astonishing kinetic energy of the ions, traveling at 300 kilometers per second to thermal energy, raising the plasma temperature to tens of millions of degrees, hot enough to overcome the electromagnetic repulsion keeping the ions apart and allowing them to fuse, forming new atoms and releasing a tremendous amount of energy in the process. This isn't the world of fairy tale. This is already happening. I watched the bright pink flash of fusion multiple times inside the control room of Trenta, safe away from the gigawatts of power surging through the capacitor banks of the reactor. It became mundane pretty quickly, to the point that my reaction to the feast became oddly subdued. But make no mistake, what Helion has achieved here is astonishing, initiating nuclear fusion reactions with ease. So let's jump into it with Helion's brilliant founder, David Kirtley, giving us the world's first tour of Trenta. So yeah. Welcome to Helion. <laughs> so yeah, can you just like start explaining what this machine is? Yeah, so you're at Helion's Redmond facility. Um, here, we're sitting in front of our sixth generation machine. We call this one Trenta. Um, this is the sixth generation of machines that form, merge, and compress, compress fusion plasmas to fusion conditions doing fusion. Like, we're looking at this end of the machine, but it's mirrored on that end. Can you explain, like, why you do the pulse reaction towards each other? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the fundamental concept of how these systems work is unlike most fusion. And here, we inject a fusion target. We call this one a field reverse configuration. Then using pulsed magnetic fields to very high pressures, we compress that fusion plasma up to fusion conditions. One of the challenging parts is how do you get that target, that initial fusion fuel, into the compression chamber and do it in a repeatable, symmetric, um, uh, high-energy way. And so one of the things that we pioneered was a concept of merging field reverse configurations, merging these plasmas, where on, we actually have a symmetry on either side of the machine. We have these injectors, we call them the formation section, where we actually form this initial plasma. We inject the fusion fuel. We then accelerate them, merge them in the center region, um, where they take all that kinetic energy that we put into them when we accelerated them, and they stop, they stagnate, converting that kinetic energy into temperature, into thermal energy, and that starts the fusion reaction. We then can compress it all the way up to the full fusion conditions. Okay, and the actual plasma generation happens on this end, right? The plasma generation happens right here, interestingly enough. So over here, we're standing in front of what is called the diverter. This is what happens after the reaction. Yeah. Um, here is our formation section. Here is where we initially inject our neutral gas. So the gas is injected from a flow manifold, a fuel manifold here. We puff in gas in a neutral gas um, that's just at room temperature. This gas fills this chamber over the course of several thousandths of a second. Um, at this point, it's room temperature. It's very low pressure, um, a fusion fuel mix of deuterium and helium-3. We then ionize that gas. What that means is we start to heat that with a combination of RF and electric fields, which then take the electrons that are orbiting the nucleus and tears them off of the nucleus, forming a plasma, charged particles, positive and negative charges in this area. 
We then form what is called a field reverse configuration, where what we do is we take the magnetic field that's keeping this plasma. This part is ionized. It's, for us, relatively cool. It's about a million degrees. Um, but that's still so hot that it can't touch any of the walls without damaging materials. So to prevent that, we have magnetic fields that thread through this entire machine, keeping that hot fuel, that hot fusion fuel plasma off of the walls. But what we do here, which I is I think we might just neat, watch all of this. It's fascinating. Magnetic field, and by, uh, by pulsing at very high intensity, over 100,000 amps per coil, we then reverse that magnetic field, trapping magnetic energy in a closed field. This is called a self-confined, self-organized plasma. It's a really unique uh, version of, of, of fusion fuel that, that, that Helion and very few others do. But what that enables us to do is form a closed magnetic topology, a closed plasma object that we can do things to, we can actually do work on. Um, and so uh, at that point, we now have a closed field reverse configuration in this formation section. We then start to pulse these magnetic field coils at high, at high pressure, um, sequencing them. And they get sequenced as we go down. We call that peristaltic acceleration, like squeezing a tube of toothpaste. It accelerates that plasma out of the formation section, which had all the complex ionization, gas injection, and all those things into higher field section. At this point, we've now moved into what we call the acceleration section or the plasma injector, where literally here, we are now continuing to accelerate this plasma to over a million miles an hour, 300 kilometers a second and higher down, down the, the length of the system. Um, but as we do that, we start to compress it already. So as we increase the magnetic field through adiabatic compression, ideal gas law, um, as you increase the magnetic pressure, the plasma then com uh, compresses, decreasing in radius, but increasing in pressure and temperature. So as it's left the formation, it's, it's on the order of several million degrees. But now we start to compress it. We start to accelerate it. And if we've done everything right and sequenced these in just the right way, this plasma field reverse configuration has now accelerated all the way to 300 kilometers a second. It's heated to on the order of 10 million degrees. And then we, we, um, we inject it into the main compression section. You notice here, the bolts, the pressure, everything goes up because here's where we really do the fusion. Um, if we've done everything right, this FRC this, that we've injected into the main compression section has met its mate that we made symmetrically on the other side. And what they do is those two collide. Those two plasmas collide, and here's the really important part, they stop. They stagnate, they take all that kinetic energy we added, all that velocity, and we turn that into thermal energy. It superheats up. And if you've done everything right, in the middle of this, you have a system that's on the order of 10 to 20 million degrees, sitting in this main compression section, ready to do fusion. So now you rapidly, as fast as modern technology will allow, we increase the magnetic field to high pressure, compressing that fusion plasma all the way up to fusion conditions, over 100 million degrees. Fusion starts, fusion begins, large amount of fusion is happening. Inside this core compressed FRC now, is core compressed fusion fuel, um, the fusion reactions start to occur. Those fusion reactions are creating new particles, um, deuterium fusing together with helium-3 to form helium-4 and an extra hydrogen. And both of those two particles are very high temperature now. They're born inside the fusion plasma, applying pressure back on these magnetic fields. That works just like in a piston, where in a piston you compress the fusion, the, you compress the fuel, it begins to burn, it then gets hotter, it pushes back on that piston, and we do it all electromagnetically. This is a truly innovative concept. With tokamak reactors, like the massive ITER reactor being built in France right now, electricity is created by converting the kinetic energy of neutrons expelled during fusion to heat by slowing them down in the blanket walls. This heat is then transferred to high-pressure water to create high-pressure steam, which turns a turbine attached to an electric generator that rapidly rotates a magnetic field around copper wires to generate an electric current. Helion is skipping steps one through four and going straight to moving a magnetic field around copper wires. Generate this is where I think this already it's ingenious, but the fact that they've taken out all these intermediate steps, the heating of water, turning of turbines, um, this one looks like a winner to me. Um, <laughs> like if I had money, I'd buy shares in this company.
generating electricity directly from the magnetic field, cradling the fusion reaction at the center of the machine. As the fusion reaction occurs, the energy it generates begins to push back on the magnetic field, confining it, moving it, as David said, like a piston. It's this changing magnetic field that will generate Helion's electricity. Skipping all the initial steps needed to boil water and turn a turbine should, in theory, make it vastly more efficient, while also unlocking the major benefits of a superior nuclear fusion fuel mixture. One of the problems with tokamak reactors is their choice of fuels. The fuel mixture of choice for tokamaks is deuterium and tritium. The availability of deuterium is not a problem, it's everywhere. This is a bottle of heavy water, water with two deuterium atoms instead of two regular hydrogen atoms. It's cheap and safe, I can even drink it. However, tritium, as we spoke about in more detail in our last video, is extremely rare. We only have about 20 kilograms of it in global reserves, and a single commercial-scale tokamak is expected to burn through 300 grams of it a day, giving us about two months of operation with the world's entire current supply. Tokamak generators will manufacture tritium on-site using a lithium breeding layer. When the high-energy neutrons from our nuclear fusion reaction collide with the lithium in the reactor wall, the lithium splits into tritium and helium. This is a reasonable solution, but 80% of the energy of the tritium-deuterium fusion reaction is carried by those high-energy neutrons. So, we have effectively wasted all of our energy to get back to square one. To combat this, the first layer of tokamak walls will be made of beryllium, a neutron multiplier, which creates two neutrons when struck by one neutron, giving us one neutron to create tritium and one neutron to generate heat. However, beryllium is extremely expensive. The entire annual global supply is just enough to build a single tokamak generator. Beryllium also contains uranium impurities, which will be encountering the high-energy neutrons too, making the beryllium blanket dangerously radioactive over time, which will make disposing of it expensive. This all points to one massive problem. Tokamak reactors are going to face the exact same issues as nuclear fission energy. They will be too expensive and won't be able to compete with cheaper forms of electricity. This is why Helion is using a completely different fuel mixture. So Helion's approach to fusion use a deuterium and a helium-3 fuel. Deuterium is really common, part one part in 500 in old water, it's in the coffee you drink, um, and safe and, 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 and readily abundant and low cost as well. We buy it in uh, compressed gas cylinders that's already purified, but you can imagine doing the purification yourself. It's pretty straightforward. The helium-3, however, is ultra rare. Um, and in fact, while helium-3 was theorized in the early days of fusion as being the best fusion fuel... There's loads of it on the moon. Because of its rarity, there haven't been a lot of approaches that have used helium-3 or demonstrated helium-3. To our knowledge, Trento was the first system we know about that did bulk helium, deuterium helium-3 fusion for a power generation application. One thing Helion has done is we patented a helium-3 process of creating helium-3, of taking two deuteriums found commonly in nature in a high pressure in a fusion system, ironically, fusing them together to form helium-3, taking one more deuterium, fusing that with the helium-3 to make helium-4, and that make, that's what makes electricity. So it's only the reaction of deuterium deuterium with helium-3 that generates the... The deuterium with the deuterium generates some amount of electricity, a small amount. It generates about um, one-eighth of the, of the deuterium-helium-3 reaction. What influences that? So it influences the amount of power output per reaction is, is the actual atomic physics that's happening, where when two deuteriums combine, um, they, they have a, a few reactions, but the one we care about most uh, will create a, a helium-3. And that, that helium-3 will have a lower mass deficit, so the amount of, of missing mass um, of that, that final product. So E equals mc squared, and that mass deficit is the amount of energy that's released in terms of the particles that are created and their temperatures. And so deuterium-helium-3 has a larger mass deficit when it forms helium-4, and so you end up with more um, energy trapped in that, that that helium-4 as well as in the other proton that is made. 
There's quite a lot to break down there. As David said, the energy released depends on the mass difference in the final reaction. But how we can capture that energy changes with the products that are created too. Two types of fusion can occur when fusing two deuterium atoms. One creates a helium-3 atom and a neutron. Most of the energy of that fusion event is carried away by that neutron. Tokamak reactors generate electricity by converting the kinetic energy of neutrons to heat in their walls. But helion's energy capture system can't generate electricity with neutrons because they have no charge. Helion needs charged particles to push back against the magnetic confinement to generate electricity. That neutron just flies right through the magnetic jail. The helium-3, however, carries about 0.82 mega electron volts of useful energy that the generator can capture. In a second possible reaction, deuteriums can create a proton and a tritium, with the proton carrying 3.2 mega electron volts of energy and the tritium isotope carrying 1.01. Helion's generator will capture as much energy as possible from these particles before exhausting them through the turbo-molecular pump in the diverter section, with the protons regaining an electron and becoming hydrogen, and the radioactive tritium being transferred to remote storage. Here, it will beta decay into helium-3, but this process takes 12.3 years to occur. When it finally does decay, that helium-3 can be fed back into our generator. So, Helion has two pathways to create helium-3 for their primary fusion energy reaction. When deuterium and helium-3 combine, they create a helium-4 atom and a proton, releasing 18.3 mega electron volts, more than the 17.6 mega electron volts released from deuterium and tritium reactions. And on a mass basis, four times more than a uranium fission reaction. Being able to generate your fuel right where you need it is a huge advantage. But David Kirtley had an interesting alternative. Um, it's a very good business case of you could do it that way, or you could do it where you have one dedicated facility and all it does is fuse deuterium and make fuel and then put it in a bottle, separate it from all the other, the other gases, and then ship that to your generators and have the generators just make electricity and not deal with the fuel processing. Um, I think that's a good outstanding business decision that we, we don't know. Um, one of the things that you have to keep in mind is when you do the deuterium fusion, that's when you make the neutrons. So the neutrons come from the deuterium, deuterium fusing together. Um, and so there's some really maybe advantageous things of separating those two machines. One of those advantages is prolonging the life of our generator. The high-energy neutrons from the deuterium-deuterium reaction can damage our generator. This is a huge problem for tokamak generators because 80% of the energy in the deuterium-tritium reaction is carried by the neutron. But the neutron generated when two deuterium atoms fuse has five times less energy, reducing the damage it can do. However, they are still damaging. If we could design a cheaper, more robust reactor purely to create our fuel products, that could be economically beneficial, especially if there are multiple generators that all need fuel supplies. Replacing one fuel generator that can feed 10 energy generators is a lot cheaper than replacing 10 hybrid fuel and energy generators. So, there are many benefits from moving away from deuterium and tritium, but the deuterium and helium-3 reaction does require higher temperatures. And this does pose an engineering challenge, especially as helium progresses to their commercial scale reactor. So right now we're building Polaris, their seventh generation system. Uh, the goal is that it will demonstrate electricity production for the first time, um, come online in 2024. The, the stepping stone between our seventh generation system, we're building Polaris, and the eighth generation system is a lot of the engineering around the system, that we want to turn up the power output, the yield even further. We want to make sure we're uh, taking that the electricity that we're recharging capacitors with, turning that into 60 hertz AC and putting that on, on the grid. And then also repetition rate, that's a big one, is that going from operating every few seconds to now operating multiple times a second is another engineering jump leap we have to make in some of the, the thermal engineering, structural engineering, and gas handling systems. What do you think is going to be the, the biggest challenge? 
in making that jump. I think any, if you ask any engineer or scientist on my team, you're actually gonna hear a different answer for what is the hardest thing that we're trying to solve. Um, my personal belief in, in building the steady operating systems that we built in the past is it comes into the thermal operation of these systems, where as things start to heat up, they change, the structural mechanics change of these pulsed magnets, uh, the way the, the fusion plasma actually, actually the wall temperature changes as it changes in temperature. We saw that on our earlier subscale systems, and so we expect to see that on the big scale systems too. And so understanding that, predicting that, and then engineering all the mechanisms in place for that, I think are gonna be some of the most exciting engineering challenges that we're solving right now. Um, and so we're hiring those teams to, to, do, to do solve those problems right now. Were there any surprising learning moments recently that you've discovered with Trenta? There were some exciting things that we learned on Trenta that were unexpected. We were really worried early that the timing accuracies of merging these two high-speed plasmas over a million miles an hour, compressing them, working on getting their alignment, um, that that would be really a tough challenge. And what we found that is in practice it's actually quite a bit easier than the theory or the basic computation simulations would actually show, that we can, with a lot of uh, essentially um, freedom, merge these and get really good results that are really repeatable. Some of the things we did find, however, that are a little bit more challenging is as these plasmas got hotter and we got above 10 million degrees and got to the 100 million degrees, um, what we found is that there's probably some other effects, good effects, where we're producing more fusion than we maybe predicted, but the fusion plasma um, interacts with the, the vacuum chamber a little bit more than what we thought as well. And so what we're having to do for future systems is build them just a little bit bigger, about 25% bigger than what we'd originally planned to account for those things. And so there's some engineering iteration that has to happen as we discover the, the advanced physics and, and the engineering of implementing these systems in practice. This is another one of the benefits of Helion's system. It's a much smaller generator than other generators like Ether's Tokamak, which makes iteration far easier, as larger machines will be more expensive to build, making the capital cost of learning a much larger barrier. Polaris is their seventh generation system, and it's 25% bigger precisely because of the lessons learned from Trenta. The physics of fusion is a new frontier. There are few textbooks to learn from. Helion is helping write the first textbooks, and one of the things they discovered is that gyro orbits are larger than they expected. A gyro orbit is essentially the radius at which those fuel ions orbit around magnetic field lines. It's affected by the temperature, and thus the speed of the ions, and the magnetic field strength. Helion discovered with Trenta that these orbits are larger than simulations calculated, which meant the ions could impact the generator walls, and given their temperatures, this was a no-go. So, Polaris is 25% larger to account for this discovery. Polaris will also be the first generation to begin capturing electricity, but that's a lot easier said than done, and will need the very latest electronics to work quickly enough. Under Trenta, there are stacks upon stacks of capacitor banks. 90% of Trenta's power goes towards generating the huge currents needed to generate its magnetic fields. The magnets that form and push the plasma forward run at 100,000 amps, while the main compression coils at the center of the machine run at 1 million amps. Drawing that kind of current from the grid is impossible, so Trenta needs a way to store power locally and discharge it quickly to achieve the necessary current. Batteries can't discharge that quickly, so Helion is relying on capacitor banks. We took a look beneath Trenta to learn more about them. So what you're seeing here, this is actually one capacitor unit. Um, and so if you're used to other electronics, a, a capacitor. Each of these boxes is one unit? Each of those boxes is, is one capacitor that has several kilojoules worth of energy storage in it. And then we have hundreds of those capacitors that all in parallel, in a modular way, make the main bank. Um, in parallel to that are other capacitors that are slower response, higher efficiency. Those are run with semiconductor switches. Um, and then even some capacitors that are very old, um, that are maybe 20 plus years old, that we use for some of the formation sections, and some of the injector, the initial ionization sections. Any issue with them being older? Is that just like the length of time you've been working on the technology, you just had these lying about, or is it better to use newer? 
Um, it depends. So what we've seen is over the years, the way the pulse power technology and community has evolved, some of these capacitors are actually still the highest performing um, capacitors because the industry doesn't manufacture a lot of these for our type of application. Now, one thing you'll see later in, in our facility, Antares facility in Everett, is our new capacitor manufacturing line where we're making custom capacitors designed for exactly this application. Um, and those outperform even the older technology. Is there any issue with just the rate that it, when you get up to faster pulses that these might deteriorate over time or? Yeah, so one, one of the keys to these systems is as you're running them, what we call repetition rate, where you're pulsing not once every 10 minutes like Trenta does, but where you're pulsing every 10 seconds or once a second or 10 times a second. Now the lifetime of the capacitors, their ability to handle throughput, average throughput, and the heating in the capacitor starts to become engineering issues that we have to consider. Um, luckily, as we've evolved, so has the capacitor technology and so self-healing and other capacitors that have long life maybe not pulse, but our long life, those capacitor technologies are now enabling for us to, to do this. On subscale systems, not on Trenta, but Trenta has done over 10,000 high power pulses doing fusion. Um, in some of our subscale systems that we did earlier that weren't doing fusion, but we're making these types of plasmas, we've done not, not tens of thousands, but we've done billions of discharges with capacitors and run them steady for months on end at hundreds of Hertz. So we have a lot of experience in building steady operating pulse power systems that are quite a bit smaller than this. And so a lot of the work we have now is taking those experiences and that engineering experience that we have at Helion and, and combining that with the large-scale pulse power fusion systems and merging those two together into the Polaris system. With the size of this capacitor bank, you would think it holds an astounding amount of energy, but the total capacity of the bank is just 10 million joules, the equivalent energy of about 22 bananas, or in terms of a typical Tesla battery pack, that's 2.8 kilowatt hours, 1 30th the capacity of a typical Tesla battery. However, we aren't expending that energy in an hour, we are releasing it in 100 microseconds. These capacitors release a lightning bolt of current through the machine, gigawatts of instantaneous power. But it isn't an uncontrolled burst of electricity like a lightning bolt. It's a carefully controlled orchestra of switches. Releasing and controlling this much electricity with a microsecond precision simply was not possible when the concept was first envisioned. Within those 100 microseconds, thousands of operations occur across the machine. Each row of electromagnets along the machine need to activate 300 nanoseconds after the previous. They need to trigger just as the plasma passes by, traveling at millions of kilometers per hour to push it even faster towards the center. That would be impossible without modern day microprocessors and fiber optics. And even then, Helion needs to factor in the speed of light through the glass fibers, the time it takes for a current to propagate through a tiny semiconductor switch and account for every other delay in the system. Legacy electronics simply have too wide margins of error to account for those delays properly. Without fiber optics, those millions of amps traveling through the system would induce currents in other parts of the machine and create misfires. What Helion is doing right now is astounding. The sequence of events to cause fusion in this machine is a delicate symphony of electronics, pushing two plasma rings into a violent collision and catching that collision in a magnetic trap in the center, which proceeds to shrink until the ions trapped within it have nowhere else to go but to fuse, overcoming one of the universe's strongest forces to create new elements in the belly of a man-made machine. But Helion isn't done. They are already building the next step in their quest for clean, safe energy for humankind with their seventh generation machine, which will do everything Trenta can do, but faster, and add another process, capturing the energy of the expanding plasma to generate electricity, adding even more complexity to the delicate symphony, with the energy flowing back and forth from capacitor banks like the tides on a shore. And hopefully, if all goes according to plan, each turning of the tides will push a world-changing electricity source onto our grids. I have never been particularly hopeful that nuclear fusion power was ever feasible, 
But speaking with David and all of the talented staff at Helion, and the recent news from the US Department of Energy about their net energy output from their inertial confinement reactor, it has really made me feel that this technology may not just be possible, but potentially around the corner. We shot hours of footage at Helion, and cutting it down into a cohesive and entertaining YouTube video meant that a lot of interesting information was left out. It would be a shame for those interviews to be stored on our internal servers, never seeing the light of day. So I have made two of the longest interviews. Right, there we go. Um, so. You know, there, there is a new world emerging, for sure. Now, you know, the, the discussion has to be about how we, as the uh, Untermensch, are corralled and um, nudged in that new world. And, you know, things things like this give me hope. I'm the, <laughs> the Malfusians can go suck a fat one, as far as I'm concerned, because I do think uh, human ingenuity will always, always find a way. And look, the, at the beginning of that, stream or a clip you're watching them create fusion one at one one burst after another after another and you know i get that it's sort of sales pitchy and um but I, you know the the concept seems sound to me i like the fact that it's not relying on you know what is essentially 18th century uh, ideas about heating water and turning um, turbines or pistons or what have you. It's all done within the device itself and all the no moving parts, just generation of electricity and magnetic fields through manipulation of plasmas. And, you know, this is probably, you know, it's, it's closer to the fundamental mechanisms that we find around oh, the, the universe that we live in and the um the, the future isn't all completely dark what's dark is the uh <laughs> what you call i'll press that button again but the uh the the fact that they they want to initiate all, all forms of inane controls again to commodify and nudge your behavior and we have to say no to that we can we can have the super efficient energy you know i don't think it's free i mean i imagine a device like that requires um maintenance you've got to have people running it etc well, you know, robots, etc., will probably do it, but um, it's it, it's there, and um, it it can only improve. And you know, when you when you think about it, um, it's also uh, a, a technology for uh, space travel, right? These pulsed pulsed ion. Um, Trains. I don't know. Exhaust is the wrong way to think of it, but you know, once you once you're sort of pushing out, and um, you can use that to propel um, vehicles in space. 
you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's not light speed, but um, I imagine it gets pretty nippy once it gets going. So the the planets suddenly become a lot closer, and you know, that's the they used it in that satellite that sort of flew past uh, Pluto. That was a sort of iron drive. And <laughs> this, it's this this type of thing that does uh, give me hope. All right, let me just uh, I'll finish it up now. So uh, let's see. Jana says practice those smoke circles. Ah, I've always sucked at doing smoke circles. Uh, let's see. Uh, I should appeal the accounts. Uh, right, multiple appeals. If CMA hits years before the power grid is restored, and you know again. Um, I just like I've got a feeling that um what, what's his face uh is it suspicious observers something like that <laughs> get, get I get the feeling he's grifting a little bit on the idea of uh these coronal mass ejections etc uh human beings have been around for hundreds of thousands of years and you know we can um if those events have happened yeah they may be disruptive but uh that's why they built all those deep underground bunkers uh, let's see ar says i sent a donor to the jail thank you very much you can have a um... <laughs> you've had enough much much appreciated um i see it in there thank you thank you thank you um yeah remember uh send send kevy a christmas drink uh, let's see even if this is a bunch of nothing be really able to do some insane shit for being monkeys yeah and yeah i don't i don't think that's nothing you know the you, you sort of see at the beginning where is it where, where it's sort of flashing in the background right room of trenta safe away from the gigawatts of power surging through the capacitor banks of the reactor it became mundane pretty quickly to the point that my reaction to the feast became oddly subdued But make no mistake, what Helion has achieved here. So, Ben, um, ah, uh, yes, the moon. Uh, yeah, moon's covered in helium free. Uh, remember, they said that Theneros and FTX were real too. <laughs> Just, um, again, uh, <laughs> this doesn't look like a uh, small hat operation to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Still read to me, damn it, DJ. Yeah, uh, uh, helium free is in abundance in the moon. Yes, uh, it is. <laughs> you know, we've just sent a big rocket um, that's going around the moon right now, and you know, <laughs> so a whole new world. The world will change, folks. The world will change. The world doesn't look like it did a hundred years ago. And it's going to look different 100 years from now. Just uh, push back against the degenerates at the top who are all into uh, kiddie diddling and, uh, um, well, all sorts of uh, wrong. Uh, let's see. Jigsaw says, sounds amazing, to be honest. His lispy voice makes me worry. A lot of hands while talking. <laughs> Is that Irish or male Siri? Uh, it was kind of, um, how should we say, a kind of gay sound in irish uh let's see 2024 invest now as we leap uh it's exciting though as a nerd i agree um don't look 
his hands or mouth clips our CIA training must be ignored. Um, yeah. We just did an EUA and taxpayer funding. We just need an EUA and taxpayer funding to go. Uh, what happens if they break through the walls? Well, it's as a plasma like that, it would just um, it would just discharge and cool down. Um, these aren't um, uh, ultra radioactive elements, right? So um, clean. I, I guess there's the um, the, the, what was it? The tritium to deuterium, deuterium to whatever to make the helium free and the twelve-year half-life, etc. Um, I love this. Yet feel we have worries. Yeah, we have worries still. We have worries because of how they want to control you in the uh, the coming years, and. Uh, <laughs> they want to keep their piece of the pie and uh, it is it is what it is just uh just say no say no and have lots of kids um uh wait a minute that looks like the inside of the home depot <laughs> wow you know shelving and racking um <laughs> kind of universal uh pretty badass says jigs i agree um i give you the link for the video um only released a couple of days ago yeah uh for shizzle kev what process creates an amber glow though that's what i've personally seen that i assume helps power ufos amber glowing portholes exhaust vents near the front end backs of points flat diamond aircraft uh i don't know maybe it's something like this uh again um i imagine this well, I, d I don't know if it's producing more energy than you put in. You can, I guess, use it for propulsion. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Thought we were supposed to be doing things cleaner, less cleaner waste. Uh, oh, it is clean. Um, whatever process creates a large bright light that magnifies 25 times its size to shrink back to normal, blast itself off faster than light. Don't we have the machine schematics to travel at the speed of light, but we don't have the brake mechanisms worked out? And then there's the G-force. Um, well, I guess we can figure it out as we get there. Uh, let's see. Jig says, Poor Africa can't even use their own oil. Energy for thee, not for me, the Malthusians. Careful, Kev. The weight would only spiro if you built in space. Colloidal rockets are the big hit for satellites. Not sure what that means. Uh, <laughs> DJ says, Poor Africans haven't even figured out what oil can be used for yet. Hilarious. Uh, if we have advanced energy, what about our infrastructure with the threat of EMPs and wait two years for transformers and months and years for more transformers and the rest of it to get fried? Well, you, you know, this is can't we bring those sorts of industries back? Um, give give stuff for people to do, maybe for those that uh, don't want to just live off uh, the universal basic income. Uh, all right. Um, all right. So that's me done. Um, I hope you enjoyed today. Uh, I thought it was uh, interesting stream. I will be back uh, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow. Um, but in the meantime, take care. God bless. I will see you in the next one. Bro, you don't know how angry I am. You do, I'm like, I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these peppers. I will fucking kill each fucking pepper. I swear. <laughs> this is not a fucking joke anymore.
Russ is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they actually saying. Fuck these chapters. No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever throws me my fucking blood blood. Never. I will fucking die. Fucking fighting for my fucking bees and my fucking forefathers and my fucking lily. Fuck these motherfuckers. All that five. This guy. Never! 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 Never